across the nation. Raging Review. The Raging Cajuns will be a source of pride for this university, for the alumni, fans, and donors as we achieve success in the classroom, in the competitive arena, and in the community. It's about to get really fun. We're looking for dudes that will stand up. Well, Coach, let me tell you today, I'm here and I'm ready to stand up. And I challenge you, Raging Cajun Nation, to stand up with us. Stand up with us. Let's lock hand in hand and let's walk through the gates of Omaha. Hey, I love y'all boys. Let's grind every day starting today. Let's do it. Y'all ready? Alarm! Alarm! Ready! Who's that team ready? Who's that team ready? That's up! I got one thing to say right here. Cajun win! Ladies and gentlemen, pimps and players, half-ass rappers and true rhyme sayers. It's Raging Review. Back at it again. Me and Nick for Track the Pack. And maybe Jerry at some point will jump on on this beautiful Sunday evening. Nicholas, how are things, sir? Things are good, man. Uh, I will take four and one every single week. Going forward through the rest of the season, now we'll talk a little bit about my disappointment and yours about Friday night. But hey, four and one, I'll take it. It's been a good week. Softball wins a series, didn't get the sweep, won the series. And uh, of course, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about what's going on in the NCAA basketball tournament right now. The meltdowns going on across the country. I'm just happy that the G5 are mid-majors. I know in basketball it's mid-majors. I'm just happy that we're going to have some folks in the Final Four. How cool is that? You know, Jerry made the tweet yesterday or day before yesterday about how FAU used to come into the Cajun Dome and we would beat them like a drum on the regular. And now they're going to go play for the Final... They're going to be in the Final Four and play for a national championship. That's kind of mind-blowing. But my question is, who gets to decide who's a mid-major? This yeah, what, is major what, to me. What's You're the requirement the there? Right. What's it, what's the Is it by budget or how does it work? So so when when there's the, these meltdowns in the media like, "Oh, we need to change now." Okay, now we need to change the whole format of the tournament because God forbid the crown princes and princesses of uh college basketball aren't in the final four and may not compete for a championship. Now we got to change the rules because of the name on somebody's chest. But going back to what I was saying, what makes you major? What what makes you a major college? Because I Gonzaga know Gonzaga is certainly got, not a, a P5 or blue blood or whatever. They were nobodies until about 23 years ago when Mark Few walked through the door, and now they are what I would consider a basketball blue blood. I mean, they've, they've accomplished so many things. Everything except, I think, winning a national championship is the only thing left to the resume. I don't know about you, but I was not impressed by Tennessee and Duke. Now, granted, Tennessee beat us by three, but those are the blue bloods of college basketball. I don't know, man. Maybe, maybe, maybe the tide is shifting a little bit. Maybe people are getting a little nervous. But you see what happened. As soon as Boise State busted the BCS, oh, we need we need a college playoff. Yep. As soon as people started making noise and the I guess the smaller schools started figuring out how to get into those big games, the Fiesta Bowls, the 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 uh, the Cotton Bowls, and things like that. Because remember, Western Michigan went I think right before the playoff started. They didn't want to see that. I guess they lose revenue. Imagine, imagine if college basketball did like football and said, well, you know what? 85% of the teams can only come from these five conferences. That wouldn't seem fair in college basketball, would it? But it's fair in, in football. Oh, we're good in football. 
It's all about the money. It's all about the branding. It's all about what ESPN can make off of, of eyes on TV. That's all that matters. All that matters. That's why I still think that college baseball, for for all of the problems that they do have with figuring out, you know, where, who goes what and how the regionals are set up, I think pound for pound is the best postseason for determining a champion and and for allowing G5s to be able to actually compete on this on the stage that they d- deserve to compete. Look at Campbell. Campbell's a nobody five years ago. Never made a regional four years ago until four years ago. I think it's four. Now, I'm telling you right now, that team, if they're not in in Omaha, it's a super regional team. They might host a regional. Well, here's I, I, they're here's, unbelievable. Here's the problem with Campbell is that they may fall into the same trap that we did because I don't know that Campbell's going to lose a conference game this season. I watched them today. I watched them yesterday against Absurd. Radford. Stupid, right? God. So I don't know until you get to the, the regionals and super regionals, and it goes back to basketball. The best team isn't always the team that wins. The best team isn't always the team that makes it to Omaha. You got to have a lot going in, in your way, and I proved it in 14. We were undoubtedly the best team in the country. There was no doubt. And we didn't even make it to Omaha. So a lot of things have to go your way. A lot of things have to bounce your way. And so I'm not ready to crown them. I'm, I Look, talent-wise, from what I've seen so far this season, again, they may not lose a conference game this season. They may host a regional if they can. I'm, I'm assuming their, their, their stadium is, is big enough. But I, I, I tell you what, and the fact that what, I, what is encouraging is the fact that all three games, at the end, we were in it. Like we should have won. I feel like we should have won two out of three. Yeah, we should have won two out of three, in my opinion. But they're damn good. It's just hopeful that all the bounces go their way because they deserve it. The thing about the NCAA tournament in March Madness, it's it's not necessarily designed to crown the best team. It's designed for chaos, entertainment, and who's hot. Which, by the way, is a very compelling product on television, and I'm sure it's great in person. I think baseball is more, I think it's more geared toward finding the eventual best team. Now you've had, you've had a couple of different anomalies like Fresno state, you know, it's gotta be 15 years ago now, but they just, they they were under 500 going into their conference tournament and got on a heater and just blew by the regional, the super, and then went in, went into, uh, to Omaha and won the national championship. I mean, that's an anomaly obviously, but Outside of that, most of the time, they're finding the best team in college baseball. But I think, again, the tournament is set up differently. You, you're you not one and done in college baseball. Exactly. I mean, 14, we lost to Jackson State first freaking game of the regional, and we came back and won the rest. So it's, it's like you said, it's set up to find the best team. But still, even in that format, you don't always have the best team. And somebody was arguing, well, the NFL playoffs, they reseed, and that's a better format. But guess what? When the Saints won the Super Bowl that year— the Colts were better than them. I hate to tell you. They had more talent. They should have kicked our butts. But things lined up well in that one game for us to win. That's that's the beauty of sports. Anybody can win given the opportunity. You don't necessarily get the opportunity in college football, but all the other sports, everybody has an opportunity. Some may be you know, slanted more their way to get them in tournaments and give them a little bit of a push. But in the end, you got to win the games. And uh, it's just it's fun to see. Fun to see the little guys win this year. Agree 100%. San Diego State, Creighton, um, and I'm going blank on the other side of the bracket, but just those two. I mean, those are teams that we've played recently and competitive. Obviously, Creighton knocked us out in 2014, but that's a small school, small private school in Kansas. Am I right about that? 
I, I believe so, yeah. Midwest somewhere. Regardless, it's good to see the smaller guy scratch and claw and get an opportunity. But it's been a great tournament. In, in fact, I think it's my favorite tournament. First ever tournament without a number one seed getting out of the Elite Eight. And there's justice in the world because Alabama didn't win. And that, to me, is, is like the crowning achievement to every team in the tournament this, this year. You cannot let Miller and that team and that coach, that smug prick, oh, my God. No way was that guy going to be able to be on a national stage and uplifted by the country. That just could not happen, Nick. And look, you can you can say what you want about Saban, but Saban runs, generally he runs a clean program, a good program, tries to get the best guys in there. And and one of the things I respect him for is he says, look, if you join our our football team, even if you're not performing up to the level that you we expect you to perform to, you won't be cut. You may ride the bench, you may never play, but your scholarship will never go away from you. So he is really, he feels like he's out there to build men because he's getting guys from inner city areas that never will have an opportunity to graduate from college. And now they do. And even though they're not playing, he's still giving them that opportunity. And so you contrast that with the trash that is their basketball coach. It makes you wonder what's going on in the athletic department's mind when they're backing this guy up. That's just not what you think Alabama should be. They should be an example, not this guy. And then Saban took a shot at him. Yeah, he said there's no such thing as being at the wrong place in the wrong time or at the wrong time, which, you know, Nick, Nick has said things over the years that you kind of, you know, raise your eyebrows. But that's a direct shot. That'd be like Mike taking a shot at Bob publicly on a national stage. Hard to fathom that that happened. It's good, though. I mean, he's on the right side of history. I think the more we learn about this now that they're out of the tournament, I think you're going to see a little bit of change in attitude toward that whole thing. But I don't really have a whole lot of respect for Nate Oates, especially after the the pregame pat down that he allowed. And then he described it as, Oh, it was like we were going to take flight and they were patting me down or patting Miller down to see if, you know, like he was going through TSA. Come on, dude. Look, you I'm going to really bring up, think that. I'm going to bring up what HUD said in our interview. If what happened with the Trump thing and all that in the locker room happened when we were, uh, if we were undefeated and, and maybe getting into a cotton bowl, if that would have happened during that time, nobody would have said anything. And Alabama basketball fans are like, Oh, this is no big deal. Now that they're out of the tournament, watch all of a sudden it's going to be a big deal. Guaranteed. It's going to magically, you know, blow up. I, you know, I will give the athletic credit. They were hard on Oates and Miller and that whole situation. But other than that, there wasn't a whole lot of sports media pressing them on the whole issue. But I think that's going to change now that they've lost. Now, I haven't been really paying attention to the sports media since the game because we've been busy. But... I, I, I think Monday, Tuesday, you see some stories that you haven't seen yet on Alabama basketball. Uh, and to my point about being busy this weekend, you see me in my soccer garb here. I got to give a shout out to the girls. Uh, formerly, formerly the, uh, what were we last year? The Mermaids. Rainbow Mermaids, was it? Formerly the Rainbow, Rainbow Mermaids. This year, we are the uh, Cajun Racers. That, that I let the team vote on their name every year. Cajun Racers this year. We were 3-0, top of the table going into the game against the Cheetahs. And last year, they were our arch nemesis. They ended up beating us in a, a pretty contested, uh, hotly contested game. Well, we, uh, we went in and took care of business. Eight to one, full time. Now we are 4-0. 12, or 17 goals, four, one against, and at the very top of the table in the league. Shout out to the girls playing hard. My strikers are ridiculous. Play great team defense. Own possession. 
good times, man. It's, it's a lot of fun to coach you. That's impressive. Tonight. And you played against the cheaters. Or was it the cheetahs? <laughs> cheetahs. Now, there, were, there was a little bit of uh, shenanigans going on, so of you're course. not too far off of that. Of course. Yeah, they, they were getting all the calls, man. I think they were just trying to keep those poor girls in the game. So my girls are dogs. They're vicious, man. I can't pull them off. You got to pull the dogs off, you know? Like, it's sportsmanship, right? They send out emails in the league. Hey, don't beat the other team too badly. You know, Hey, we sub. We do equal playing time. I'm sorry. I just got a collection of dogs. That's what's wrong about the world. You can't don't don't beat them too bad. Everybody gets a trophy. Thank you. Screw that, man. You got to toe the line as the coach, though, man. I know. Because if you look like you're trying to step on next, they're going to write you an email. You're going to get reprimanded. That's the difference between soccer and baseball. In baseball, there was no mercy when we played back in the day. Absolutely no mercy. <laughs> if you want to score 40 runs, you're going to do it. And and you you got to get three outs. That's it. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. No clocks, no timeouts, nobody to come and save you. You need outs. Look, I'll tell you, when my dad was a coach, and my dad coached baseball, played baseball for 50 years. Uh, so when he coached me growing up, uh, a team was beating us by, like, I mean, it was it was bad. It was Gil Mesh. I don't know if you remember him. Pitch for I the sure Mar- So I, he pitched against me. Funny story about him hitting me. And Anyway, long story short, they, they were kicking our butts because they were always the team to beat. And... Uh, I was I was acting all pissed off in the dugout. My dad came up. What's your problem? I said they, they're running the score up on us, and he said, "Well, stop them. Go do something. Go score some runs. Man up." <laughs> and my dad never got fired up, but he he wasn't playing. He said, "Well, go score some runs if you don't like it." So it toughened you up. You learn how to learn how to lose. Shout out to Ryan bouncing in and saying, "Sweep the leg." And look, you know me. I'm gonna go for the jugular. So when we started to get up and. The other team kind of started quitting a little bit, so I started putting in the uh, the girls that I want to get more development out of. You know, we still kept scoring. You know, this is the second game this season where you try to get more work in for the players that don't typically attack, and we just kept scoring. And you know, the girls were crying. It's coaching so girls em. is a coach, coaching girls is a trip. <laughs> Look, I, I, they're they're so smart and they listen to everything you say, and they're they're a lot more aware. The boys are like. You know, they're putting grass in their hair, rolling around in the outfield. They don't care. They're just there for, you know, shenanigans and foolishness. The girls are, like, very intense, very into the game. They know what the score is. They know that they're in first place. You know what I mean? They're way more engaged, um, which, which is cool because it kind of puts you more – it puts them more on your level. So you, 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 I feel like I can coach them more, you know, and kind of be more tactical and things. You tell the boys something, to let, you know, all right, go, guys, scoop the ball, set your feet. Make a good strong throw to first base. Kid picks the ball up, throws it behind his back. You know, this is a whole different deal. So explains a lot about life growing up and, and dating women. And then, you know, they get a little bit mental. And yeah, now explains a lot because guys are just sitting there going, I don't know what just hit me. Yeah. The, <laughs> ladies, are prepared. Expect, the ladies expect something out of this. The boys are like, I'm just happy to be here. I don't know what's next. I didn't think past the date. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> let me do sponsors. Uh, big thanks to Patriot Steel Group, Chris Russo and his team, Brandon Gallet and Reed Barbier. A hundred years combined experience in the oil and gas industry. Uh, Chris Russo has been a great friend of Raging Review and Raging Cajun Baseball. So please, if you can, support Patriot Steel Group. Get more information on them on their LinkedIn page, Patriot Steel Group LinkedIn page. These guys know everything that that you could possibly need to know about tubulars and seamless tubulars and uh, resistance welded. More information on the on the website that they have. As far as they go, they're great friends to us, great friends of Raging Cajun Sports. So please 
patronize Patriot Steel Group. Lafayette Roofing and General Contractors, our friend Darren Domingue and his family, the team over there at Lafayette Roofing and General Contractors, they're licensed and insured, locally owned and family operated. 10,000 satisfied customers cannot be wrong. Give Darren and the crew a call today, 337-237-ROOF. That's 237-7663. You can visit them at lafayette-roofing.com. Don't forget the dash Sagging, signs of water damage, dark spots, holes, cracked or torn shingles, large amounts of granulars in your gutters, all signs that you need some work done on the roof. They also do painting, interior work, lots of other different things in your home renovation. They have three different options for financing. They will get your job done. They'll do it efficiently, and they'll do it for the correct price. Lafayette Roofing and General Contractors, great friend to the Rage Review Podcast and Louisiana Athletics. Gordon McKernan, Injury Attorneys, the official injury attorney for Rage and Review podcast offices in Lafayette, Alexandria, Lake Charles, Monroe, Shreveport, Zachary, Denham Springs, Gonzalez, Hammond, and of course their home office in Baton Rouge, where the chief happiness officer, Penny, resides. Go check out Penny and the team at Gordon McKernan, Injury Attorneys. Remember when you hire G, you get the, the G guarantee. If they don't win your case, you owe absolutely nothing to them. Not a fee, not a dime, nothing at all. 888-532-1573 is the toll-free number, or getgordon.com, getgordon.com, get Gordon and get it done. Thanks to all our fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. So, Nick, we played a lot of baseball this week, another five-game week, uh, two in a row, which is great. Ten games in two weeks as a fan, always something to pay attention to. This week was a little bit more challenging. You had SE, uh, SELA, SELA, Southeastern, whatever you want to call it. I don't even really know what they call themselves. We call them 15 different things. I should probably be more sensitive to their name, all things considered, with our situation. Uh, but the, the Southeastern Lions came to town, which was a good game on, on Wednesday. We'll start with Tuesday, Grambling. It is what it is. It's one of those games. It's RPI killer. It's a game that you wish you didn't have to play. I was praying for rain. Obviously, that did not happen. But, again, I guess it's an opportunity to get better, get some hacks, get some pitches in. What did you see out of Grambling? Maybe that we could appreciate more. I, I didn't see a whole lot. What, what are your thoughts on Grambling? Yeah, you know, um, looking at the the pregame and, and how they rank up nationally in the NCAA, they were top, I think, forty in stolen bases. So you knew they had some speed on the bases. You knew if they got on base, they'd do some things, and they they've been successful so far this season. We just never gave them the opportunity. Um, right. I, I thought our, our pitching was excellent. I thought our bats came around. No, we didn't beat them 22 to nothing, but we didn't have to. Um, so so it was encouraging all the way around. Grambling was kind of what I expected them to be. I thought they would give us a little bit more of a challenge. I thought it might be a, a situation where they, they might have a pitcher who throws a lot of off-speed stuff and keeps us off balance, kind of like, again, Jackson State a few years ago. But um all in all, I think just just a healthy performance for our team and what I expected to see. And and I didn't expect a blowout. I didn't expect them to to beat the the tires off of them. I thought it was gonna play out just as it did. But good to see that our pitching was able to get a um what was it, one run? It was a thirteen to one, I think was the, the final score. Thirteen to one. We threw four guys and we'll get into the uh to the stats in just a minute. But yeah, it was it was good to see some consistency out of the pitching staff. Yeah, and to something that we have not seen so far this season, um, but I think is is trending upward. And and 
look, they gave up an early run, but but shut the door after that. Uh, one thing that I think we still need to pay attention to, uh, Sam Hill came in, he got the win for for the Cajuns, but got to cut down on the on the the free bases. Um, and I know you're going to get to stats in a little bit, but two hit by pitch, two wild pitches, three base on balls. We got to cut down on that as a pitching staff. Still something that we see across the board that we struggle with a little bit. Uh, b- but again, it, all in all, 13-1 game, you're, I mean, you can't complain. Yeah, not a whole lot you can complain about, but we can we can comment on certain things that maybe expectations or whatever. So Sam gets the start. He goes five, gives up a hit, a run, and an earn run. Like Nick said, we gave up, I think he gave up six total pass, free passes, three base on balls. He did have six strikeouts, and he threw 79 pitches in five innings, which is pretty efficient. Uh, the issue here is that you, you get off to a rocky start. You, I think they walked the leadoff guy, and then maybe we kicked a ball. No, it, no it, that, wasn't in, it, that wasn't against Grambling. But uh, either way, I think they stole. It was just rocky. Wild pitch, like you mentioned. You give up the run in the first inning, and yes, it's Grambling. They earn the run. Against better competition, you put yourself directly behind the eight ball starting the game like that. Now, I'll give him credit because he definitely bounced back, and he was strong the next four innings. There's no question about that. Still, you can't walk three guys. You can't walk three guys against Grambling. You can't walk three guys against Mississippi State. It doesn't matter who you play. Again, we cannot continue to walk people. Now, David Christie came in, gave you a great inning of work. Two Ks, no walks. Stephen Cash. We haven't seen much of Stephen Cash. He came in for an out. No base on balls. I'm, <laughs> at this point, I'm just going to give people kudos for not walking people. We saw Connor Ducey. Came in for two and a third, gave up a hit, no walks. So those were the four pitchers that you saw. Kind of Johnny Allstaffed it, but we, you know, the game ended early. We we run ruled him in six and a half. I, I can't remember the last time we run ruled anybody, but it's been a while. So I was actually we I left practice that night and I was headed to go to the game and I heard Top and Jay say, Well, this thing's about to wrap up. And if I remember right, I thought only Sunday games were able to be run rules if you agree prior. I guess the coaching staffs agreed that it was going to be a run rule situation. Yeah, that that happens. If I remember correctly, back in the day, that would happen occasionally during midweek games where, I mean, you don't want to play till midnight and have to drive home. Sure. Now, there were situations, and I don't, I have no inside information, so I don't know if that was the case. If they agreed upon it before the game, sometimes coaches will get together during a game and say, hey, you know, we're up 13-1. Do you want to, you know, give it another inning? Um, mutual respect between teams. They give them that out. So that does happen sometimes, but um, I have seen it in midweek games and that has been sort of a trend in college baseball where they do in it early midweek, just, just so teams could get home, especially those who are driving in for games rather than or uh, a BYU situation where they're already here. So we're not going to end it. Which makes sense. And we should do things that make more sense in college baseball. Uh, Steven Cash and Connor Ducey. First time we got to see those guys throw some live pitches. Uh, Steven Cash only threw... Four pitches and got an out. Connor threw uh, 12 pitches in two and a third. Any comments on those two guys? What they, would they do for you? No, I, I think they came in and got the job done. I am going to switch it to Sam a little bit because I think for Hill, again, he settled down after the first inning. But what I need from him going forward is we may need him situationally in tournaments, maybe in the conference tournament, maybe in a regional, maybe well, in a Nick, super regional. I'll say this. I can tell by the way that they're using him. They have a high, they think that he has a high ceiling and you can tell that he's got, I mean, the dude's got a major league hammer. He's yeah. got some stuff. 
hundred percent. However, we just need him get to go, get off to a good start because we, if they we need pitch. to, yeah, if we if we got to bring him in in the ninth in the not ninth but like sixth seventh inning to to strike out a couple guys or or get out of trouble, right? He can't have the performance he had against against Grambling in a tournament in a big setting situation like that. So that's what I need to see against Sam. But again, maturity. He settled down. He got the job done. Um, and, and we had some guys behind him that did a really good job. So that's all I, I would like to see for him going forward is to get off to a little bit better start. If, um, if he gets in trouble later, I mean, that happens with pitchers. They, they you know, they get off to a good start and then we have to pull them a, a little bit earlier than we like. Don't not happy about that, but I think a little more comfortable in knowing that he will come in and, and, and be a stopgap if we need him in a situational situation. I agree. Uh, six K's in five innings. I'll take that. But I Absolutely. think Sam. I think Sam is going to get some opportunities to be your Sunday guy, and we'll get we'll get more into the Sunday start uh, as we go. But five innings on Tuesday. A lot of people had speculation that Nazu was going to move up to Saturday, and then obviously with the doubleheader that ended up happening, it just made sense that somebody else was going to come behind him. Sam, I thought was going to be the guy. Tommy Ray also looked really good on on uh, on Wednesday, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. But he was an option as well. I'm glad that I'm glad that Sam. We, we got to find somebody else to fill that role, especially with the injury to Toit. And it sounds like the, the, Toit, the Toit injury might be a lot worse than uh, we initially thought. So we're going to need somebody to step in and fill that role. So good to see Sam pitching uh, better and more often. I think that they have a high hope for him. Jeremy Newman started the game for Grambling, went one and two-thirds, gave up a hit and two runs, no earned runs because they were kicking it around early. He did walk four, one strikeout through 38 pitches. They came behind him with Michael Sims, the third, one and a third, a hit, a run, an earned run, two Ks. Then Brett Washington, we saw for an inning, he gave up two hits, three earned runs, no strikeouts, no walks. Esteban Tavares, two, two thirds of an inning, four hits, seven runs, seven earned runs. And that inning was bolstered by a mammoth moonshot from our backstop, who is just in fuego right now. Keith Carpenter, an inning and a third, a hit. And a base on ball. And that that does it for Grambling. Offensively, I mean, it is what it is. It was a barrage. And it has been for about a week. You know, I, I put out the question on Twitter, what, what is the Cajun version of Gorilla Ball? Somebody said Rougarou Ball. I think I'm going to go with that. Uh, shout out to Caleb Broussard. I'm pretty sure it was Caleb. Uh, I, you know, right now we're just, we got a couple of guys in this lineup that are just destroying the baseball. Uh, ben Robichaud continues to be good out of the leadoff slot. Uh, two runs, one hit, and three at-bats. Uh, he had two walks as well. His on-base percentage is through the roof. Caleb Selly gets in the game, does not get a hit. Debo, one run, three walks, and uh, yeah, four official at-bats. Carson Rockefort, two runs scored, no hits, but two strikeouts. Kind of feels like Rock's starting to turn the corner and get back to 2022 Rock. So uh, this game notwithstanding, he had a pretty strong week. Landry Wilkerson got in the game, did not get a hit. Heath Hood. In four official at-bats, two runs, three hits, three RBI. Old reliable, we always say it. Uh, Luke Juhas with a pinch hit, single. John Taylor, who's another Cajun that's catching fire right now, both on defense and at the plate. He had two runs scored, no hits in two plate appearances. Uh, He's just been good, and he looks like he's getting better, which is a great sign because, again, we need some consistency in the lineup. I think at this point, we're into conference. It's good to see the same lineup kind of you know, rounding out, same names in that lineup. I know it's still going to be chaotic sometimes, but anyway, I'm glad to see John Taylor getting a lot of playing time. 
Julian Brock, the aforementioned Cajun backstop. Two hits in three appearances, two runs scored, six RBI. Again, an absolute moonshot home run, a uh, grand slam home run. Was it a two-run shot that he hit, or was it a solo later in that game? That I'm whole pretty, game was a blur to me. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure he hit a two-run job later in that inning, or later in the game. No, no, it wasn't the same inning. He hit two home runs in the same inning. He started it with a two-run job, and then he hit the grand slam towards the end of the inning. That's what happened. You're right. You know, when we do the show on Sunday, and we haven't played, we played Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, and two feels on like Saturday. Weeks ago. <laughs> yes, it feels like last week. So Julian's just in fuego. Clay Wargo got a net bat and got in the game, gave, uh, gave Julian a blow. Lee Amade also got in the game, no hits. Peyton Lejeune, Lejeune, excuse me. He's another one. It looks like, first of all, he hits lefties really well. Apparently, his numbers are much better from the left side, but he's been murdering left-handed pitching from the right side. So it seems like anytime we do a, a matchup for righty-lefty, he comes in, and he's been successful uh, a large percentage of the time. So good to see him get another hit. Uh, Will Vail, another one, starting to round into form. Maybe he's starting to be a little bit more healthy. One hit, two runs scored, and two official at-bats. Did have two, excuse me, four official at-bats, two walks. Uh, and then Trey Fleur got in the game, uh, did not get a hit. For Grambling, I mean, really nothing to write home about. They had two total hits. They did score a run, basically, that we handed to them. And, and that was basically the night. Any comments about the offense? No, it, what it was good to see is... I feel like we're starting to have a little bit more patience at the plate. And that was frustrating. I think the first couple weekend series, especially against rice, where I thought we had an opportunity to sweep them and we didn't because I felt like we were pressing. And sometimes our hitters are it's, look at the McNeese game, right? We, we were pressing, we were trying to hit the ball out. We, we were striking out and, and we weren't patient at the plate. I feel like that's starting to come around and you saw that with the six or seven walks that we drew. Um, I don't know that we we did that earlier in the season or even last season early in the season. If you remember, we got off to a terrible start last year. It's true. Where where we were barely above 500 in conference, you know, going into conference play. So um, it was good to see a little bit. That, that was my takeaway is that when we beat a team that we should have beat by the margin, we should have beat them. And we showed a little bit of patience at the plate. So that was encouraging to see. I think we have a couple of guys that are growing up Okay, JT being one of those guys, getting some D1 reps, expecting to be in the lineup. I think, and this is probably an easy assumption to make, but I think adding Ben Robichaud at the top of this lineup has changed a whole lot. You know, Max Marshock's one of our favorite players. We've been on Max since he signed to play here. He's going through it right now. I mean, he just is. Everything is out in front. He's off his back foot. He's not staying back. I don't know what's going on with Max. I hope he gets back into form because when he does, this lineup is always better because he adds an element that just makes us better. He makes the offense go. But right now, Ben Robichaud's on-base percentage, the way that he sees the ball, his ability to have discipline at the plate and not swing a trash out of the zone, I mean, that guy's a threat. Also, the fact that he's 5'6". I mean, his strike zone is the size of big cats. I mean, you can't throw strikes to this guy. But even more so, his bat speed is spectacular. He's got, he's got plus everything. He's a great base runner. He's the perfect addition to a chaotic uh, offense that we needed and and credit to him he's young they just stuck him at the top of the lineup and he's just all he does is get on base look so like I shout said, out to ben before the season started i was told by a very reliable source this is probably watching us right now that our wink, younger wink, guys nudge, nudge. <laughs> that our younger guys are going to make a difference in the lineup that they can really hit the ball and you're seeing that with ben you're seeing that with with jt you're seeing that with the young guys all they needed was the opportunity 
but you can get the opportunity and not take advantage of it. And these guys are taking advantage of it and they're battling. And look, like you said, Max is going to come around. It's just a matter of when. And if he still stays at the bottom of that lineup, you know Robe loved having a good hitter at the bottom of the lineup to turn it around back to the top. Double so lead off. I think I think that is a perfect place for him in the lineup. I think when he starts hitting like we know Max is going to hit, like you said, it's going to make it even more difficult for opposing teams to be able to, to pitch around guys because there are very few holes in our lineup right now. So really good to see guys like Ben, guys like JT, Debo, D B and Debo, Heath. I mean, hoodie, come on, dude. Uh, dude's Mr. Automatic. It's good to see those guys that you know you're going to get production from, and then the other guys try to lift them up and get a little bit of production as well. So um, I think I think I like what how the lineup is set up right now. I don't know when it's going to happen. And if I had my druthers, I would pick Southern Miss. But Max is going to get a chance again, and he's going to explode and have a huge weekend. I don't know when it's going to happen, but it's it's coming. And when it does, this lineup, not, not, not like we're not hitting already, but this lineup is going to be extra scary, like Campbell scary. Anyway, we turn around on Wednesday, and we play Southeastern, who has always been a quality club under Matt Reiser. They always come to the Teague. They always play as tough. I don't know, uh, and maybe, Nick, while I'm reading off, maybe you can look this up. I'm not sure how successful they've been this year. The Southland is always a decent conference. I know they're 12-9. and nine. I'm not sure how strong their out-of-conference schedule was, but Southeastern came in and gave us a fight, like they always do. Tommy Ray got the bump, start on the bump. Three innings of one-hit baseball. He had a walk. He did have two strikeouts. The thing that stood out to me about Tommy was that he looked comfortable. Everything he threw looked intentional. He was locating the fastball early. He was touching 94 with that fastball, by the way. His changeup looked fluid. He had late life on pretty much everything he threw. This was, this was a version of Tommy Ray that I have seldom seen, and maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe haven't seen this version of Tommy. He looked spectacular on Wednesday in his three innings. Now, I know he kind of petered off, started throwing some balls, and he ended up throwing 40 pitches in three innings, which is still not all that bad, somewhat economical. But did Tommy look... Like he had a little extra with him uh, to you on Wednesday. Yeah, he did, and 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 I think uh, to answer your question, Southeastern is not a bad ball club, so they got off to uh, like a fire start. I think they went five, six, seven, and zero to start the season. Now, against some some lesser quality teams, but again, they won. They beat the teams that they should have beat. Then you got to think. Uh, I don't know what what they were ranked at the time, but Auburn, who is currently ranked. Uh, they beat them two out of three on a weekend in Auburn. Nice. So Southeastern, and if you were, if you remember, we talked about this earlier in the season, Southeastern was leading the country in like hits and runs and RB, uh, RBIs and batting average. They were just hitting the ball all over the place. So I, you, you almost felt like Tommy came in with a purpose, um, knowing that, that they had some success earlier in the season, but just, just overall great to see him get off to, uh, a good start. Uh, now, I think did he come back? Did he pitch again this weekend? I can't remember if we saw Tommy this weekend. I don't think so. And I was just getting ready to say to me that performance told me as a fan, this guy is he's pitching right now for his Sunday life. He yeah. wants a start on Sunday. That's what I got out of it. Now he only got himself in trouble because of the hit by pitches and yep. the hit by pitches. I mean, that's a Matt Riser staple. They lean into the pitches. They stand on the line. They crowd, crowd the plate. plate. It's so aggravating, and I know as a pitcher it's got to be a pain in the ass, but 
he really only got himself in trouble because of that. And then he had he did have that walk in the in the third inning that kind of put him behind the eight ball. Uh, but I just I was curious if somebody else had a similar thought about him pitching the way he did on Wednesday. I mean, he was just on fire. Yeah, and 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 again, like you said, it may be that he's competing for a Sunday spot, but even if he doesn't have a Sunday spot, think about again. I'm looking way ahead, and I shouldn't be, but I'm looking at tournament play. And and if Tommy Ray is our number four starter after all is said and done, holy cow! I know. That means that we we have some horses ahead of him. So I think he could fill fill in really nicely in a in a Sunday spot. But if he doesn't, and he's our number four, that is nothing to be sad about because that just tells you we're we're feeling confident in our starters. And I know. That's light years ahead of what we felt going into the season. We there were a bunch of question marks going into the season on on feeling like it's a bunch of bullpen pitchers that we're trying to we're trying to make into starters. But I think guys are really settling into their roles right now. So look, if if Tommy's a number four, that that's only good for the team as a whole. Agree. In the fourth inning, Cooper Rawls comes out and continues to be lights out. I think his ERA by the end of this outing was sub one which is outrageous. He did end up getting the win, so he's 5-0. and He vultured five. <laughs> no, no starts, five wins. I love that. that. He went the short route for the Ws, but uh, it's, he's 5-0. and it's, it's a cool line for, for uh, Coop. He goes three solid, no hits, no run runs. He did walk a guy, two strikeouts, 45 pitches thrown. Cooper Rawls, you know, Jay made the comment that, well, he didn't know a lot of people that thought that Cooper would come out and be so effective. And if you saw my smart-ass remark, I said, well, if you didn't think that Cooper was going to come in and be one of these guys that were going to be, you know, relied upon to have success on the mound, then you need to get, you need to hang around better people. Dude's 5-0 on the season. He was 4-0 before saying. then. Come on, Look, man. We saw, first of all, we all kind of, we thought that Cooper would get more run before he made the start. Well, no, he came in uh, in relief against Louisiana Tech and pitched those seven strong. Well, it looked unhittable, was the national pitcher of the week. And we saw what he was capable of doing that night and then beyond that into the, into the rest of the season. But this year, especially with the losses of Bo Bonds and all the other guys that moved on, Chipper Menard and things like that, you had to think that Cooper Rawls was going to be at the top of that list. That were you know Those guys that we were going to look to in the pen to come out and give you some long, solid innings in relief and maybe even make some midweek starts, which I still think is in Cooper Rawls' uh, future. But, I mean, Nick, what can you say about Coop? Sub-1 ERA at the end of this performance – and not only that, if you know you got a five-game week, you got to save pitching for the weekend. And especially, we didn't know this at the time, but the doubleheader on Saturday. So Cooper, and this is just one time, he did it twice this weekend, saved pitching, gave you another solid three, great outing. I, I just, I'm running out of superlatives to talk about Cooper Rawls. But, but did we have that consistency last year is my question. I don't not think out so. Of the From pin, a pitch, not, not out of nope. the pin. And that is what is so good to see. And maybe this is... Tib finally getting his guys in place. This may be the recruiting finally, you know, Degg's getting his guys in place. But it is so good to see some middle relief come in and shut the door. Uh, something we've been lacking the last couple of years. But I want to put an asterisk by your by your comment about Chipper Menard. When we get to conference play talk later in this episode, we got to talk about we got to talk about that situation. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait. But but going back to your point. Out of the pen, everything was up in the air. You never knew. Now, we started to nail it down towards the end of the season, especially when we made our run, but nothing like this. I mean, Cooper comes in and leaves no doubt, and that's what I like about the guy. Very rarely does he get himself in trouble. He'll walk a guy here and there, but most of the time, he leaves no doubt. He finishes you. 
He has no mercy. He doesn't, he has no regard for family, friends. He just puts you to sleep. And, and we have lacked that here for, for three, four years. People that would just come out and put you to sleep. Demos a long time ago. You know what I'm saying? Like, we haven't had anything like that. And now Bo Bonds was, but, it, you know, he was going to start for this team this year. Bo Bonds was another one of those revelations that came out, and he was a key cog to that run last year. But losing him, that leaves a big void. So guys like Cooper, they, they have the opportunity, and to his credit, that's all he's done is taken it and run with it. That's so what's good. so good. I mean, that that's your that's your prototypical Degs team is you give guys a chance and let them take advantage of it. And and guys are stepping up. And again, I feel like what is this year four for him? Year three, kind of, because of COVID. But yeah, kind of. It feels like he's starting to get his guys and his system. And look, Degs drives us all crazy sometimes with the decision making that he makes. And he's aggressive when I feel like we shouldn't be aggressive early in a ball game when it's no score and you guys have guys stealing and a hit and run. And now you got two outs drives me nuts, but it feels like he's finally got his pieces in place to be successful. And look again, I'll say it. How far ahead are we this year in pitching and hitting than years past, especially last year? Again, no we, were, we were pissed off this time last year. Uh, we are so far ahead of that. So maybe his pieces are finally falling into place. But but I can't say anything better about Cooper than you've said. Really, about about Cooper, about about Fluno. Um, Moody struggled a little bit this weekend, but but he's Moody. You know, he'll have his off days. So uh, <laughs> so yeah, happy happy the way that game turned out, especially. When again, like I said, just a couple weeks ago, you had one of the top offensive teams in the country and you shut them out. And I get it, we didn't score a whole lot of runs, but that's what you get when you play Southeastern. It's gonna be one of those small ball steel bases types of games. They muddy it up. They, they muddy have. it up. Yeah. And and we we have found ways to win against different situations. If we gotta swing the bat, we can swing the bat. If we gotta steal, we gotta play small ball, we can do it. Um so just all in all, please, with the way things turn out on on um, on Wednesday night. Agree. You know what we should do so we don't get in trouble because people get mad at us for this? We need to set aside a segment to complain about things that Dex does that drives me <laughs> nuts so we don't get in trouble. We'll set it aside so if you don't want to hear it, you can skip that part. But there's definitely things that we're going to we're gonna talk about. But Love the guy, though, but he drives us nuts sometimes. <laughs> I love my kids, but they drive me nuts. It is what it is. Uh, but But anyway... Uh, so anyway, talking about you made the comment about Moody. Moody coming in and pitching too solid kind of gave me. See, the thing about that was is that it wasn't just a bullpen, a live bullpen. That was some stress pitches. We're only up by two. They bring him in to finish it off. The eighth and the ninth. I mean, at that point, it, it gave me another clue that they were going to move off of him on Saturday. I don't love it, especially when he gets tagged for tipping pitches. I think I would have brought him back to see if he could fix that. Um, but again, that should go into the segment about me complaining about how we manage pitchings. Anyway, he looked great in relief in the eighth and the ninth. Carson Fluno again comes in, pitches an inning, gives up a hit. He does get two strikeouts, walks a guy. He got himself into a little bit of hot grease, but to his credit, he got out of it. Uh, for Southeastern, Jay Long got the start, went three and two-thirds, eight hits, one run, one earned, struck out three. I thought he was really effective against our lineup. Uh, not sure if they were just trying to get some guys some work or Johnny Allstaff it, but... I think all things considered, Jay Long was good. I would have probably left him in a while. Reed Reynolds comes in, gives up a hit and absolutely nothing else in one and a third. Then you saw, you know, guys that probably needed to get work. Levi Bennett, Trey Harrington, Dalton Asphalm. Uh, each went an inning apiece. 
Uh, only Bennett gave up a hit and an earned run. He had two walks. Uh, Trey Harrington also had a walk. But for Southeastern, once again, they have quality pitching. They have quality depth. They do what they do. They muddy up the game, and they did that. Uh, for the Cajuns offensively, Ben Robichaux, a hit and a walk. So all he does is get on base, as per usual. Rock had a hit and an RBI. Uh, did have another strikeout. His, his strikeout numbers are crazy compared to last year. Uh, Debo, another hit and four at-bats. Heath Hood, hit and four at-bats. Uh, he's been on base for the Cajuns in every game that we've played for 42 consecutive baseball games. I saw that graphic on the, uh, on the broadcast. Julian Brock, two hits and four at-bats. Did not homer in this game. I know that's a newsflash, shocking news. Uh, Julian didn't hit one out. Uh, no homers, no RBIs in this game. Uh, John Taylor, once again, scored a run, got a hit, four at-bats. And then Max Marshak got a hit and an RBI and four at-bats. So nobody else that got at-bats. Uh, Connor Higgs did get in the game, had an at-bat, no hits. Lee Amade got into the game as a defensive replacement. Uh, Nick, comments on the offense from the Southeastern game. Yeah, I think the only takeaway for me is you left 11 guys on base, and I feel like we had yep. some opportunities to to push those across across home plate. But all in all, you're going to have these games throughout the season where you you face you know maybe a, a pitcher that's hot or you, you have the pitcher by committee thing, which is hard to get. I mean, you always want to see a, a pitcher once through the lineup and then get comfortable and start hitting the ball. But when you go by committee, then you – you're starting all over again. So right. I get it. It's a midweek game. Uh, but but please with with the way again our our bullpen propped up our offense, which wasn't producing like they normally do. So it was good to see all around. We'll need this kind of win later in the season, especially when we go into tournaments that uh like last year. We we found ways to win, different ways to win, and I think this was a key to uh to the future. So uh good to see all in all. I really have no complaints on this game. Agreed. And then going back to pitching, uh, Champ RT, Southeastern's best hitter and probably is an all-conference player. Hell, he might challenge him being All-American. That guy's good. Uh, he had two hits. He was the only Southeastern player to get a hit off of Ray Rawls, Fluno, Aramudi. Nine innings of two-hit baseball from the Cajuns. Uh, that's pretty damn good. I mean, there's really nothing to complain about right there. I mean, we did walk three guys, but two hits. Strong three performance guys. I'll all take around. three walks a game. I mean, that's not bad. We're good. You know, when I'd you like to keep it around eight, two, right? I like struck to keep out it eight, around though. two. Yeah, yeah, we did strike out eight. So, of course, that's important. Look, every pitcher had two strikeouts. So, some pretty good consistency. Uh, everybody had a walk except for Brendan Moody, who came in to close it. So, of course, you don't want to see your closer walking people. All in all, all around performance, good win against a team that always gives us problems. Then we get on the bus, we head down I 10 to play South Alabama, a team that, and we'll spend some time on this, Nick. We grew up in the era where South Alabama is a hated rival. We hate their guts. We, like, I mean, come up with anything bad to say about them, and we're behind it. I still feel that way. I understand that the last, I don't know, six, seven years, it hasn't really been all that bad, especially after Swagger, he's gone, and some of these other guys that just really like to rub it in your face. Uh, it's been kind of nip and tuck, but... It feels like the Cajuns have taken a... It's like we're back to the Cajuns being on top. Now, we lead the overall series, so you know we can throw that in their face, but those heated rivalries, those, those weekends where you always felt like we we're on the brink of a fight, it doesn't really feel like that to me as much. Of course, I still want to beat them. I hate them. I, I'm always going to hate them. They're the Falcons of, of you know, for the <laughs> Saints to me. 
<laughs> you know, uh, I know everybody hates Coastal, but that's an easy hatred. Southern Miss is a rival, and that that goes. That's more of a newly um, rekindled rivalry in baseball. South Al is your first love or your first hate. Still, yeah. you, you still feel that way. And I think I think back in the Kittrell days, I think his teams and look, Robe, 100%. Robe in his younger days, he was he'd get our team fired up. Like oh, yeah. you going out there to fight, and Kittrell had the same kind of feel about it so you had two guys who wanted to win and if they had to bow up they would and I remember the last time and I couldn't tell you if this was 98 99 where it wasn't a bench clearing brawl but they came out and met at home plate and that was that was intense but I think Calvi is such so so then you go I mean Robe softened up a lot as he went in his career and and then you bring in a guy like Calvi who is so hard to hate I mean you gotta you gotta think that I went out there a few years ago and I was with Marla and some of the cooking club folks. And we were out there kind of tailgating, drinking after a game. I think we kicked their ass or whatever. And Calvi and his wife come over and they start talking to us and some kids yell, Hey, this is a drag County. And he's like, screw off, dude, like go away. <laughs> so the dude came talk to us. I mean, he's so likable. And when his, they come to Lafayette, his wife hangs out with the cooking club and we're all friends. So it just makes it hard to hate South Al. And I think he, he does things the right way. And but but regardless, it doesn't matter if it's Calvi or Kittrell or whoever and, and whether or not you feel like the, the rivalry is intense. I guarantee you both teams are told of the rivalry in the past and both teams. Every single series is weird. It's never feeling like it should be. I can't tell you the last time either one of our teams swept each other, even though we should have this well, weekend. Two years ago, we went over there and got swept. You're right. You're right. So. But it doesn't have a, happen often, and no. when it does, it really pisses me off. But but all in all, it's just hard to hate him because of Calvi and and the respect I have for him and how nice of a dude he is. It's really hard to hate them, but I still want to beat their butts every single time we play, just because I remember those days where I had that hatred for him. Right? Think about Kittrell was he was a villain to us, and those you got to have that in a league if you want. Heated rivalries are interest. You know, the, we talk about the gate, the ice skaters sometimes. People love the games because it was a fight that a hockey game would break out in. And we wanted to beat the Baton Rouge Kingfish so bad. And we did. They, and we did. They could never beat us. We hated them and we beat them every time. That and, was so and, great. And, and since <laughs> South Al, when, when South Al would come to the Teague and they'd start their foolishness, it was like, it felt like you were on the edge of a real fight. You know, not like the fake fight that happened at the Pete this weekend that we'll talk about later, but... Real fight, like there actually were fights in the past between these two programs, and you know how much Robe wanted to beat them, and Kittrell was the ultimate competitor, and I'll always respect him for that. I hated his guts when I was like a teenager, you know, moving up, you know, like right around, like somewhere around 13 to 16, I just hated his guts. Uh, but you got Calvi that comes in, and I mean, like you said, he's a great dude, but he it just felt like he's a carryover from Kittrell, and and... You still hated them, and they they were good. They were they're still good. This year they're awful, and we could talk about that in a second. But they were they've been good since Kittrell. Uh, South Alabama, South Alabama. That rivalry, I'll never forget it. Doesn't matter how how much better one team gets than the other. I still circle South Al on the calendar, especially when we travel to Mobile. I mentioned I mentioned that they have fallen off uh, by the numbers. They're really bad, Nick. Uh, if you want to pull it up, you can, but I can tell you off the top of my head, their team ERA going into the series was 5.48. Their team ERA was 5.48. Now, that is a 
Mark Calvey team with a guy that's a basically he was a borderline All-American in Jeremy Lee, who I have no idea what happened to that kid. I know he had an injury last year, I'm pretty sure. Maybe it was really bad. I'm not sure. I don't know what's going on with Jeremy Lee. And we saw him on Saturday, but they did lose some guys to the big leagues. They've had some turn, they have some turnover. But man, they can't throw it. They I don't know what happened to that. And that that is their that's their cornerstone of their baseball team. Going into this season, all I could hear about was, look, they're going to pitch, they're going to play defense. They were very good defensively, timely hitting and pitching last year. I have no idea what's going on over there. And then to make it worse, make matters worse, their team batting average is 246. Team batting average going into the series, 246. That's like 50 points below where the Cajuns are right now. And they're not, they're out of conference. Meh. You had a couple of games in there where you felt like they were outmatched, but overall, they have lost some head scratchers, and it kind of sucks that they were that bad. Look, and then we'll, we'll talk about how we blew the lead, but just just overall impressions of what's going on in South Al. I'm going to tell you, in the Sun Belt, they rank in the bottom three or four in every category. And I'll give you some perspective. Batting average, we're 83rd, they're 245th. Runs per game, we're 81, they're 161. They are not top 150 in any category except for ERA, where they're right at 150 at 5.88, we're 30. And their whip is 143. That's top 150. Everything else, everything else is in the 200s. So when you look at South Alabama and you want to say, oh, yeah, but you're, you're, you know they're better than that. To give some perspective, Grambling as a whole, when you're looking at NCAA stats and rankings, they are way ahead of South Al because stolen bases, they're like 45 or, or something, and, and, and South Alabama is 212. So they, they don't even compare to a Grambling. Grambling could go in there and give them a competitive three-game series when you're looking at just statistics. So when somebody wants to come and say, well, no, we, you know, I know we should have swept, but South Alabama is better than you think they are. No, man, they're, they're really not. And I think that's our frustration is that Friday night, we don't look at it as, a, as a winning two out of three, which is a good accomplishment. I think you and I expect better, and I would expect that the coaching staff thinks better and the team thinks better than that as well, that when you got a team that's an RPI killer and you should in every facet of the game dominate them and you uh, you get a seven run lead and you let them come back come on man you got to do better than that it, it's a good point and some of it's situational right i've been in baseball my whole life all right expecting to sweep a team is a fool's errand you can look at the schedule at the beginning of the se- this uh this week and say you got southeastern you got grambling and you got three at at a bad south out if you expect to go 5-0, and oh, you don't know what the hell you're looking at. This is baseball, all right? Now, I'm going to kind of do some double talk here because you go into Friday, you t- you blow out. I mean, it was kind of nip and tuck early. We were, you know, Jake couldn't get. I thought we overextended Jake on Friday, and I guess we'll start to move into the game. I thought we overextended Jake on Friday. I thought we overextended Christie on Friday, and I thought they were trying to do that because they wanted to save pitching for Saturday. I get it. I understand the theory behind it. However, you got to know when to say when. When Julian blows it up into 11 to 6 right there, you feel pretty good. Five run lead deep into the game. This is a team that can't hit and have, I mean, bad inconsistencies in the pin. You feel pretty good about where you are. At that point, going into the game, I'm not going to say, oh, I expect to beat South Al and Mobile on a Friday. 
you know, I, I'm not going to say that, even though by the numbers, they're Arkansas State. But, but if you take their, 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 it's like the old Jerry Seinfeld joke, we're rooting for clothes, right? If you take the South Al jersey on and put the Arkansas State jerseys on the, the South Al players, they're basically the same team. And in some regards, Arkansas State is better offensively. But on Friday, when you have the five-run lead in the sixth, you think, okay, this is a game you got to shut down. You got to nail this thing down. And we blew it. We, we blow the game. So you, everybody can talk about, oh, well, it's a four-and-one week and we're 18-7. and seven. I get all that. But do y'all watch the games? Do y'all watch the games? Do you watch how we blew the game? Do you watch the defensive miscues, the, the mental mistakes, the walks, the free passes? Do you all watch the games? I know what the results say, and I know what the stats say, but they really don't mean all that much if you didn't watch the game and how it unfolded. I'm going to tell you right now, good teams don't blow games like that. And I'm not saying we're not a good team. Don't get mad at me. People got mad at me on the board. I'm not saying we're not good. I'm saying that we have all the pieces that we need to be good, but we have work to do. You can't blow a game like that on a Friday night against a bad team. Again, remove the South Al shirt off the players, put the Arkansas State shirt on the players, Y'all would all be as mad as I was and saying, oh, we blew it. Oh, we blew it. Four and one is four and one. It's great. 18 and seven is great. 20 before 10. I get all that stuff. You can't blow that game on Friday. And I think where it hurts us is going to be again. And I keep, I know I'm looking ahead. I'm a fan. I'm not Uh a coach, not a player, but this is an RPI killer loss. And if we're, if we're four, four in the seventh, and and we lose by a run okay like i'm feeling i'm not happy about the loss but i'm like okay you know what it was a tight game they they had great pitching you know we struggled at the plate but okay that's fine you were up 11 to 6 in the 7th and you blow it and you gave up four runs in the 8th that is what's frustrating again it's not we're not frustrating that we only that we went two for three over the weekend. Exactly. I will take that against South Alabama every single year. It's how we lost on that Friday night game. If it, again, if it were a one run game going into the ninth and they score a couple and okay, I get that. But this is, a, this is a gimme. This is, you just got to close it out. You just got to, everybody's just got to do their job and we blew it. So that was the frustrating part. And again, it's South Alabama. It's a little more for me, but Two out of three is great, but you had you were there. You were there to sweep it. It was there for you. They handed it to you, and you let it get away. And I think that for you, I, I'm not going to speak on your behalf, but for me, that was a frustrating point. Is where if if let's if this were Grambling, like you said, if we were playing Grambling in the three game series, and we dropped this first game, which Grambling is equivalent to South Alabama, if you're looking at NCAA stats, we would have all been pissed off. But because it's South Alabama, we're going to willing to give it a little leeway. I don't think we should. I think we should be pissed off about this about this loss. I agree. And you know, everybody makes the foot actually commented on my on my personal account at, at UL Man About Town and he said, you know, I heard a bunch of people, nobody was talking about the fact that this was a rivalry game. And I understand it's a rivalry game, but you think Heath Hood was watching the brawls in Lafayette 25 years ago? You think Julian Brock, look, I know that they know, you know, I know that they know all that, but Heath Hood had just signed when we got swept at South Alabama two years ago. Heath Hood wants to win because he doesn't like the team on the other side. It, the rivalry, look, it, that, to me, it's at this point, especially with South Alabama, it's way more about the fans than it is about the players on the field. I, I think, I, you know, it's a rivalry. Well, it's a rivalry because it's a, it's a conference mate, and it's a team that, you know, 
I'm sure these players hear a lot about from fans and coaches, especially from Bab, especially from Bab, guarantee. But but Deggs doesn't have any extra animosity towards South Al. He just wants to win because he wants to win. Same with probably the majority of our roster. So I, I don't I don't really think the whole rivalry thing comes into play when you play a bad team. If anything, I think they relaxed in the seventh and said we got this in the bag, and then oh no. You know, and give credit to South Al. I mean, they fought to the end. So I'll give them credit for that. But no, this is not this is not your run of the mill loss on a Friday night. I, I just don't believe that. And look, to to speak to your point, I agree with you. Their backs are to the wall at this point. They're where sure. we were last year at this time, where it's like you, we gotta start winning games. So credit to them. They they didn't give up and and, and they <laughs> four runs in the eighth, man. I mean, you just you you figure. And then I know you had some questionable or you questioned maybe how we handled some of the pitching later in the game. Oh, it's brutal. I know. It's I brutal, know. Nick. And I'll go into it when we start that, talking but, pitching. And, and when you do, that kind of put us in a hole for the rest of the weekend. And thankfully, we were able to, to, to dig out of it. But my whole thing was and why I was so pissed off about Friday night is because, you know, you play a doubleheader on Saturday and if you think winning a series or sweeping a series in conference is difficult, try winning two games in one day. That Absolutely. is so difficult. I don't care what team you're playing. If you got to play two non-ending games, it is hard to win both games. So you put yourself in a terrible position by not winning on Friday night. And I think for me, look, if we would have won Friday, won the first game Saturday, lost the second game, I'd have been disappointed, but I wouldn't have been as pissed off as I was when you know a Friday is so key because you got to play back to back on Saturday, you got to play 18 innings. That's hard to win too. And thankfully we had the talent and we had the, the, we were able to pull it out, but man, that, that Friday night game was so important. And again, you look at that eighth inning and you, you just kind of shake your head and go, what the hell happened? Well, I'm about to tell you. So Jake Hammond got the start for the Cajuns. Our Friday night guy goes three and two thirds. Gives up two in the first, one in the second, one in the third, and one in the fourth. He just didn't have it. And, I mean, sometimes you're just not going to have it. So, you know, there's no knock on preach. He threw 78 pitches, five hits, six runs, five earned, two walks, only two strikeouts. I thought it was clear early on that he didn't have it. Uh, I remember, I think it was Eric Getty and Blake Marshall, the year that we went and got swept. I remember them making comments one of them said it to me personally, but somebody else said it in the media, that there was something wrong with South Isle's mound. When they would come down and land, they were just uncomfortable, and it, uh, it made them release the ball high. I don't know if that played into it, but that's about as ineffective as we've seen Jake Hammond in a calendar year. So I don't know what happened there. Again, some nights you're just not going to have it, but that was extra weird about how that all went down. Then... We got the bats going in the third. We scored five to take the lead. South Al comes back with two in the fourth. We tie it up in the fifth, and then we bring in Jake, uh, Dave Christie. Dave comes in, three innings, seven hits, two runs, two earned, three strikeouts. Now, that line doesn't sound all that bad, but it was the sixth inning for me. You know, I mean, to me, he was clearly done. He ended up throwing 58 pitches. Not great in three innings, but... You could just tell that they had figured him out. They, I don't know if he was tipping. You know, Deg says that a lot, but it looked like they, they, had, they had him down. I mean, they saw the ball coming out of his hand just, just fine. I thought his fastball got flat later in the, the, the outing. Uh, you know, 
what do you say? I think, again, I think Jake was spent. They they rode him too long. I thought David was spent. They rode him too long. And then you bring Blake Marshall in, in a spot that he has not been in yet this year. And I think that they were going to try to get him to go seven, eight, nine. That's my personal opinion. I don't know that for sure. But he could not find the strike zone. Pitched an, uh, a third of an inning, three walks, walked the bases loaded. And, of course, all of those free base runners came home to score on the double off the wall when Moody came in. He goes in and gives up two hits, a run, an earn run. I didn't necessarily think he looked all that bad. He was a pitch away from getting out of it a couple of times, but he gave up the big shot uh, that ended up bouncing off the top of the wall and coming back into play, and all those runs scored. And next thing you know, South Al has a three-run seventh, and uh, excuse me, a two-run seventh, and then the four-run scored in the eighth. I apologize, I said that wrong. The four-run scored in the eighth when Blake Marshall came in and walked everybody. At that point, we felt cooked. At that point... You could kind of tell there was a general like wind out of the sails feeling in the team. They really didn't fight in the ninth like you expect occasions to. Uh, that was a big lick off of Moody there. And I feel bad for Blake because he's been so lights out for so many appearances to uh, this season. I mean, his ERA is great. He, his strikeout to walk ratio is great. Everything he's done to this point has been plus plus. And then you have one of those letdown games. Yeah, and I think he'll be fine going the rest of the season. Um, but it was just, again, like you said, it was the wind out of our sails, and it almost felt like we just conceded, you know, kind of like South Al did the first game of, of Saturday, just kind of conceded. Um, but, again, those those games happen. It's South Al. I get it. Or Alabama. Um, yeah. I totally get it. But when you're up six runs over a bad team, which we've established South Alabama is a bad team bad. and no, no offense to their fans, but you're not very good right now. Not saying you can't go in and win the conference tournament. We were not very good this point last year. You can go and run the table, but the point is right now, South Alabama is not a great team. If you go up six runs in the, in the seventh, you should expect to win when you feel like you are a good team. So regardless of whether it's pitching letting you down, hitting not coming through, you got to find a way to win in that situation. And again, it's not about losing one out of three games. It was about the way that we lost this game that I think was left a nasty taste in our mouth. And might even made him mad for Saturday morning, so maybe it was yeah. a blessing in disguise in a few ways. But just to correct an error that I made, David Christie gave you a good five and sixth inning. He gave up the two runs in the seventh, and then Marshall came in in the eighth. I, had a, I got an inning head start on that. My apologies. Uh, South Alabama threw a guy with two last names, Garrick Conrad, which is a pretty sick baseball name, by the way. Uh, two and two-thirds, uh, two two he gave up four hits, five runs, five earned, walked three. He did strike out six in those two and two-thirds. Cajuns got to him. They had to pull him. Uh, Matthew Delano, who, by the way, Matthew Delano started liking a bunch of Raging Review tweets from the night after they won. So shout out to Matt Delano. Maybe he's going to listen to the pod. Uh, Matt, you guys are not very good. I just want to let you know. Uh, but look, <laughs> three innings pitched, three hits, three three runs, and all three were earned, and he walked four. So uh, two strikeouts to his credit. Uh, he was effective at times, but the Cajuns' offense is just really in a groove right now. So uh, better luck next time, Matt. Jake Brunning comes in in relief of Delano. One and a third. Two hits, two uh, three runs, and a walk. He did have three Ks. Jackson Boyd. An inning, one hit, and then Grant Wood, who was still very, very good, uh, gave up nothing. He did walk a guy in a single inning of work. 
Uh, and then we can move on to to offense. Ben Robichaux, again, good night. Scored three runs, had a hit, two walks, did strike out twice, which is very uncharacteristic of him. Debo continues to be on fire. Two hits and four at-bats, four RBI, scored two. Uh, Carson Rockefort. Uh, Rockefort. I know we're putting some different emphasis this year. Maybe we've been saying it wrong this whole time. Putting the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. Bro. Correct, correct. Rock, uh, five official at-bats, two RBIs, and a hit did score a run. He struck out two to add to that mounting K total. Uh, Heath Hood, no hits. Did walk twice, struck out once, did score a run. Julian Brock hits another bomb, two RBI, two hits, scored a run on his homer and walked one time. And that guy's just, again, in fuego. He's just hitting the ball out of every yard. I mean, the ball he hit the dead center was absurd. Just, I think the exit velo was 108, and it went, oh, man, I forgot how far it went, 458? I think that's correct. Looked like two miles. <laughs> oh, my God, dude, he's ridiculous. Uh, JT got another hit in four at-bats, did uh, walk as well. He did strike out three times, though, but exceptional sparkling defense yet again. Uh, Peyton Lejeune gets in the game, uh, no hits in one official at-bat. He struck out in that at bat, actually. Caleb Stelly pinch hit single. CJ Willis, beautiful to see CJ back in the lineup and getting some defensive time at first base. We need CJ to get back to what he was doing earlier in the season. Got one at bat, no hits, but uh, good to see CJ back. I mean, I think that he's still one of those guys that you think is going to still have a big year. Uh, Will Veon, again, he's starting to round into shape. I think he's above the Mendoza line now. One hit and four official at bats did score a, a run, and he walked. Uh, Max, another hit on Friday. Uh, in three official at-bats, did score two runs. The old Max that we know, scoring runs. And that's, that does it for the offense. Um, you know, at the end of the day, pitching, the Cajun pitching gave up 14 hits. Um, that might be a season high. I know, you know, I think we gave up 16 to Campbell on Saturday. Uh, but that's still high for this pitching staff. As much as we kind of complain about the moving pieces and, you know, the free passes and whatnot, I still think that, you know, the numbers, by the numbers, like you mentioned, I think we're 30 in ERA, which is, Pretty solid, honestly, all things considered. Uh, Cajun offense left nine on base. South Alabama offense left 10 on base. Uh, Cajuns got nine free passes, and South Alabama got five base on balls. It was one of those games where you kind of throw out the stats, and towards the end of that game, it was just a dogfight, and credit to South Al. They found a way, you know? They found a way, Nick. Uh, But if they score four in the seventh and not in the eighth, I think we probably have a little bit more opportunity there to come back. And I guess we did put ourselves in position to maybe try to do something, but look, it just wasn't to be after that four run inning, you know, hard to come back from. I'm just going to say my dad was a pitcher in the fifties, like 1950s. Um, and my mom watched <laughs> him play semi pro ball. And so we talked about the game Saturday. I, I call her every single day. Mom's listening. will love this. I called my mom every single day and we talked about the game on, on Friday and uh, on Saturday morning, we talked about it, and she said, look, it doesn't matter if you can hit the ball. You got to be able to pitch. And she said, I've been watching this game since your daddy was pitching. You know you got to <laughs> pitch, and you know you got to stop him from scoring. So it's so true. Like, it doesn't matter. In the 50s or today, you got to, in the end, of the, you can hit the ball, but you got to stop him from scoring. And, and we just failed to do that. You know, you feel, again, like going into the eighth, six-run lead, you got it. And then it, it goes down a four-run lead, and you're like, oh, okay. But like you said, I think if we gave up four in the seventh, you're feeling a little bit better. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. It's, it's just one of those crazy games. It's uh, I hate to say this. I hate that saying, but, hey, that's baseball. 
Oh no. <laughs> the dreaded it's baseball. Look, if if it comes back to serve a purpose, sometimes you win some sometimes sometimes you learn, you know, that whole thing. Great. I'm willing, I'm willing to eat that and I still think it matters how you play. And if you watch the games, you can have an intelligent conversation about how it went down. The result is what it is. I get it, and it's baseball, whatever. That is a flat-out blown game. Uh, you know, like Rice, I'll give you, go back to Rice, the Rice example. We're up five after two, and we end up losing the game. They beat us pretty handily on the Sunday. I don't think that's even close to the same thing. I think that you got up early, and you faltered throughout the course of the game. This is not what happened in this game. We were the better team. I mean, really, for eight innings, in my, in my view. Seven and a half innings. And we just let it get away from us. And the problem is, is that it came from guys that we've been able to rely on. Marshall, you know. Blake, I love Blake. Blake's my guy. You can't walk the bases loaded right there. I mean, that is just the last thing you can do. And, I, I you know, who knows how that plays on the player's psyche. You never want to say, oh, well, they gave up. I don't think they gave up. But, man, that's tough. That's tough to come back from. Look, we were the better team for 24 innings of this entire weekend. Oh, no it was like two or three innings that we we kind of, you know, poo-pooed the bed. And it happens. Uh, but, look, again, not there's no panic. I don't think you're panicking. I don't think I'm panicking. No. I don't think anybody's looking too much into this. But you're up by six in the seventh. You feel like you're gonna pull this out, and and you know you gotta you gotta be better than that. Maybe we get maybe we got too comfortable, like you said, and thought, hey, it's our game, we got it. But L is for learning. Hopefully, this was a learning experience. I think that that has a lot to do with it. But of course, I'm not panicking. Of course not. The problem is, is some of our fans can't just have a conversation about baseball. Correct. If then, you say then anything all of a negative, you hate the team, right? You oh, hate uh, the team if you question. <laughs> it's like Jared. You know, every time something bad goes, if we talk anything negative, he says, "Is Degs the guy?" Oh, come on, dude. Is Degs the guy? Come on. We're not. Even, we're not talking about. We're talking about in-game baseball. We're talking about moments and and their blips of things that happen during the course of a nine-inning game. And, and we've all been around baseball long enough to be able to ask that question intelligently. So some of our fans, you cannot talk about it like that. It has to be sunshines and rainbows, unicorns and lucky charms, the whole thing. It just has to be, you know. But I've, they've been getting mad at me for 20 years. I don't care. Just talking about baseball. Can we just talk about baseball? Anyway, Cajuns lose 12 to 11 on Friday to the Jags. We come back, and as Ernie Banks would say, let's play two. So we get the Jags twice on Saturday, first game at 1 p.m. at Eddie Stanky. I call it the stank. Uh, Cajuns absolutely go nuts at the plate. Win the game 22-5. to uh, This is the game that we talked about where Jackson Nezu moves up to the Saturday role, game two role, uh, and he was faced up against Jeremy Lee, who, again, has been a quality arm for South Al for a long time. He's been in the program for a long time. This guy was borderline All-American in his sophomore year, I want to I say. Uh, and he just was not effective whatsoever. Uh, and you don't know what's going on with Jeremy Lee. I think his ERA is like over 6 now. He's 0-4 on the season. Cooper Rawls comes in and gets the save, and we'll get more into pitching as we go. But, Nick, any overall generalized comments about a 22-5 to ass-whipping? I guess we went for two on the final touchdown. You called out Jerry, so he's joining us. But um, before we get to that, no, <laughs> man. Um, look, Nezu, I think, again, 120 pitches in five. I would like to see that get to six or seven yeah. for 120 pitches. But he got the job done. He he only allowed three runs. 
Um, not a whole lot of bad to say about this game, man. This is one of those games where you just sit back and enjoy it. Yeah. And that's kind of what I did. I just sat back and I enjoyed it. I didn't get into the stats of who was hitting what, but damn, Rocco went off. JT went off. Julian is Julian. I, what do you say, man? <laughs> I this, mean, this, this, this was a good old fashioned college baseball lap dance. Yeah. You just sit back, you fold your arms and you enjoy it. Just have a good time watching. That's it. That's yeah. all this was. And you knew, but but you knew that you felt, I, I mean, at least from my perspective, I felt like 22 runs, and I know there's an the old saying, well, you got to save them. Not necessarily save them, but you, gotta, <laughs> you, you felt like South Alabama was just conceding and saying, okay, you know, we'll, we'll throw trash in the bullpen, whatever, but we got you game three. And again, this goes back to Friday night where, I was worried about Friday night because if we win Friday and we're up 22 to three, then we're kind of relaxing in game three could go either way. But this was two must win games today to kick it off with a 22, you know, run game. That was a good sign. But again, you felt like I, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but you felt like game three game two for today or Saturday was going to be a little more tenuous as it, as it went on. And it kind of was, but um, no, yeah, I, mean, I expected a dogfight today. Really what do did. you What do you say? I mean, there's nothing you can't say anything about games like this, man. You certainly cannot. Uh, let's do offense first because that was the most fun. I mean, really pick a guy, pick a guy. I mean, Ben Robichaux had three walks, scored two runs, and uh, one official at bat. <laughs> he didn't have any hits, but he was on base all the entire game. Caleb Selly gets in a game, gets a hit and two official at bats, had an RBI, which is great to see. Debo, uh, if you guys remember, he got hit in the first inning and was pulled for John Taylor. John Taylor filled in, which, by the way, that's another revelation, Nick, that, that happened in this game. We know that if something happens to Debo, God forbid, we have a guy that can step in and play a great shortstop defensively and obviously offensively because all he did was go, let's see, three for six, Three runs scored, four RBI, a bomb, a triple. He finished a double short of the cycle. Did strike out once, but... I mean, what do you say about John Taylor at this point? It, to me, the guy's got to be on the field. He has to be in the lineup. He's one of those guys where, look, he's a utility player at this point. Obviously, it's an infield utility guy, but he's got to be on the field. I think that he has earned his keep. every time. The more he plays, the better he gets. What do you see out of JT? 100% agree, and look... JT coming in, um, I have to admit, I was a little bit skeptical because baseball bat bros, like, oh, this Same. guy's just going to try to hit it out the park every single at bat. But he has... But am I his, wrong on this? Is his defense... It, there's I, no way you thought he could play that dude, kind of defense. I was I about to say it. I was that the defense was going to be the next word in my mouth. I had no idea this kid had the glove he has. Holy cow. So you're telling me you got a guy who can hit for power? And he can hit, I mean, if he needs to get a single double, he can do that. Oh, and by the way, he could also play ridiculous defense. And and I think JT, who was on the on the call this weekend, uh, or excuse me, JD Byers was on the call this weekend, was mentioning he had six errors on the season. I mean, compare that to the ridiculous plays he's made. Okay, I'll take the six errors. If you see the way this guy plays defense, uh, it's, it's insane. I mean, he is a true all-around player. I know... Was it you that got in an argument with somebody about whether or not he was Blake Trahan like level? I know there was that conversation going on. 
I don't like comparing that players. Was, that was Debo. They were saying, so the, the conversation on the board was that Debo was projecting to be the best shortstop that ever played here. Regardless, I don't care. No. I don't compare players in that way. I just want guys to perform at the best level that they can perform at. And then two years, three, four, five years from now, we can look back we'll and say it. where they are. But right now, I'm just happy for what he's doing and how he's contributing. Because I, I don't know about you, but I had no idea his defensive skills were what they are. And I, I, again, I was a little apprehensive going into the season going, this guy's just going to try to mash it every at bat. But holy cow, he is just a true great all around player so far. So what we've seen the season. What what impresses me, six errors doesn't sound right. And look, JD is a pro. I have nothing but respect for JD Byers. He's been on the pod a couple of times. Great dude. Six errors sounds high to me. Whatever. It may be right. It just sounds high. The thing about JT that, that impresses me is that his his strikeout numbers were, were high uh, early in the season. He looked bad a couple of times, and he hasn't seen a whole lot of D1 pitching. So you you thought that maybe there was a curve that he'd have to overcome. Well, he's done it in about two weeks. He's gone from... A strikeout victim, strikeout potential, bad at bat, to pretty patient at the plate, making great contact, seeing the ball well. I mean, his on-base percentage just continues to go up. He's hitting the baseball all over. His defense is second base. This is the best defense at second base we've had here under Dex. That is not a high, that is not hyperbole. This guy is making plays in short right field. He's behind the bag, and this is not when we shift. By the way, we haven't been shifting all that much. Have you noticed that? It's like the yeah, I think is, that's a trend because it's. It, you, I think it's because of range. I think we I, have range now. That's what I was going to say, but I think that's a trend in in college baseball as a whole. You've not seen a whole lot of shift, um, but but again, I think we just have horses who can play, and and that's not required. You got guys who can be all over the field at any point in time. So I agree with you. I think the shift should be banned, but that's a whole other pod. Isn't it banned in MLB now? It should be. It should be. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Madden. Jo- Joe Madden, not the other Madden. Uh, I, look, Joe Madden, coach, he, he was the manager for the Cubs for a while. He got me a, a world championship. All love. But I think, the, I think that the shift is as bad for baseball as the pitch clock. Ridiculous. Again, whole other pod. Anyway, back to JT and the, uh, the Rougarou boys. He had, you know, three for six. We said that. Carson Rockefort looked like Carson Rockefort of old. Four hits and six at bats. Three runs. Two RBI. Uh, just, he did have a stolen base really good. I mean, Carson rock, it feels like he's kind of starting to turn the corner to get back to his old self. He looks more comfortable, especially this weekend at the plate. Uh, Heath hood walked once homered once two RBI, a hit in two official at bats did score a run. Julian Brock, another Homer walked twice because people are sick of pitching to him. Two more RBI. Uh, and Lee Amity gets in the game, has an RBI, not a hit. It was a sack. Clay Wargo gets in that bat. Glad to see Clay get some playing time. Give Julian a break. Didn't get a hit, but got some defensive time. CJ Willis, again, four at bats, an RBI, a hit, two runs scored, and a walk. Will Veon, three RBI, two hits in three at bats, and a walk. He also hit a moonshot. Uh, we hit five home runs in this game. Luke Juhas, one official at bat, two RBIs, a hit, and Base on ball. Mason Zambo, who had a great day at the plate, and he had kind of been struggling a little bit. Five at-bats, three RBI, two hits, two runs, a homer, a walk. And it's fun to hit when the ball is getting blown out. Especially it's stanky because it's a hitter's ballpark already. When you get the wind blowing out, dude, the ball's going to jump. So great for Mason. Great for all the home run hitters to get the ball out. Max at three at-bats. He did nothing. Connor Higgs at-bat, run scored, and a hit. Peyton Lejeune. 
run scored and two at bats, no hits, no walks. Uh, and that is your uh, that is your offense. Any quick takeaways from the offense in game one on Saturday, and then we'll we'll look at pitching. Yeah, the only thing I think I said going into this this game was, oh crap, the wind's blowing out. We're gonna try to mash it and 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 a repeat of McNeese where we just tried to mash the ball. That being said, obviously we were successful in mashing the ball. So I'm not uh, I'm not hating on it, but but look, we, it was again when you score 22 runs, not a whole lot of bad to say about it. But Ru- I, ball. But you know what's funny is that even though we were up by God, I don't even know how much we were up by. I mean, it wasn't 22; it might have been 18 to like three. They came back and scored two runs, and I'm like, oh crap, here we go again, another Friday night thing, you know, because. Well, it's like I had PTSD from Friday night where no lead was safe. Um, but but just all in all, good to see the guys not try to force things, uh, mash the ball. Uh, again, you can't say a whole lot of bad. 22 runs is quite the ridiculous. Feat. By yeah. the way, that's the most runs the Cajuns have ever scored in Mobile, Alabama at Stanky Field. By the way. If you look at the contenders in the Sun Belt so far this season, you're talking about Coastal. You're talking about ODU. They're scoring runs as well. Oh, so yeah. it's look, there are four or five teams. I think, and and there was there was a, a an article in one of the D1 baseball. I don't know if it was D1 baseball, but one of the Division One baseball reporters came out and said, "Is the Sun Belt Conference a five bid league?" Yes, and Absolutely. here's why. Absolutely. This is this is what I'm talking about, man. We're positioning ourselves with the way that we're playing baseball across the league to be a five bid league. So uh, again, every single win matters for every team in this league. But it is so great to know that even though you drop one in South Alabama, the committee may look at this and say it's a Sun Belt. You know, kind of like it's the SEC. We're starting to get in that conversation, and that's that's refreshing and good to see. Agree. And look, South Alabama has a knack for going on late season runs. I don't think they have the horses for that this year, but if they do, that RPI will creep up and it'll help our RPI. So all is not lost. Uh, on the mound, uh, Jackson Nazu, five and two thirds, six hits, three runs, three earned. Uh, he got tagged for a bomb. He did walk two guys. He had five Ks uh, and hit two guys, which got him in a little bit of trouble. All in all, though, give me three earned runs on a Sunday start, or excuse me, a Saturday start. This offense is not going to let you down more often than not. The only thing that I would say about Jackson, uh, not economical at all, 123 pitches and five and two-thirds. We got to figure out a way to get that down. His masterpiece last week where he was named Sunbelt and National Pitcher of the Week, uh, 108 pitches in eight innings. Or no, seven innings. 108 pitches in seven innings. That we got to see the pitch count get down. Agree, hundred percent. Jerry, what you think? Welcome, buddy. Good oh, hey, you, Jerry. How are things? I, I'm, I'm a little late to the party. What, what did I miss? I know, I know, we took two out of three against South Al. We went four and one on the week. What, what other stuff did we talk about tonight? What did I miss? Most Everything of the weekend. Else. I'm actually, uh, <laughs> I'm about to wrap up pitching for a Saturday where we only used two pitchers, which was a great thing because obviously in a in a twofer situation you want to save as much pitching as you can with the, the great thing was basically we had the entire pin at our disposal on uh game well saturday afternoon for game three which by the way that first game lasted three and a half hours i mean come on that's too long guys we, we, but look, we got, 
Yeah. Like, before you go, stuff to get to. Before you go, Jerry, the most important thing about a two pitcher game on the game one is the way we pitch Friday night. <laughs> we needed that because if you start getting into three, four, five guys having to come in and pitch on game one, then it's going to be a little bit iffy in that second game of a doubleheader. So, really, Absolutely. look, Nezu, I get it. We wanted him to pitch. I mean, 120 should have been like seven innings, but it didn't. Cooper came in. He did what he had to do to get the win, and then we were able to move into game two. So overall happy, obviously, with the outcome. Um, we pitched 200 pitches. They pitched 227, and they pitched like eight guys. So I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm good with it, whatever it takes to get that done. The other pitcher that we used was Cooper Rawls. Once again, you know, he's been one of your go-to guys for – uh, the majority of this young season so far. Coop goes three and a third. He does give up two hits and two earned runs. Uh, he walked three guys, and that's what happened. I mean, he got himself in trouble with the walks. Uh, you know, if to this point, uh, I'm going to see what opponents are hitting off of him. It's not good. I mean, it's like in the 160s somewhere, even with the couple hits that he gave up in his outing on Saturday. But he walked three guys. And you all know, we've all watched it. Free passes, especially with conference got, uh, conference mates, they're going to score runs. So Coop comes in and saves the pin, which is the most important thing to me. Uh, like like Nick said, two pitchers on a, on the front end of a, a twofer. Th- the most important thing is just getting through it. Coop comes in, he he goes to three and a third. He gives up a homer. He throws a wild pitch. He had a hit by pitch. To me, he threw seventy six pitches. To me, if you're going to have a stinker, that was the day to do it. So we got that we we got that out of the tank for Coop. He's ready to go. He's ready to rock and roll at that one one fifteen ERA clip where guys are hitting like one fifty off of him. That's fine. You know, y'all both know this. The mission changes when you're up a million to to nothing or a million to three, whatever. His mission was to go in there, save pitching, throw strikes. Okay, and he did have a little bit of a rough go of it. Of it, but again, if you're gonna have a stinker, that is the time to do it. So whatever, Cooper did his job. He got through it. Cajuns win 22 to 5 in game one of the two for on Saturday. Jerry, uh, overall comments before we get to the uh, Sunday or game three tilt between the Jags and the Cajuns. Well, I know I heard you guys talk a little bit about the first game. I don't want to go too far back, but I know we blew the five run lead. I know it was a tough loss. I think what was concerning about going into Saturday was the fact that we had used up a good bit of our bullpen. The best part about bullpen bullpen i mean how often do you see blake marshall go out there and have to get pulled uh that was something that i wasn't that that we haven't seen all season and really it was just a bad night for for the pitchers but um i think in game two the way we responded uh was was huge and to your point about jackson i I wish jackson look jackson pitched another great game uh i would like to see his pitch count get down as well because i think he went through what 80 pitches through four innings uh, when you start playing better hitting teams, and and by the way, Nick, I like the compliment you made earlier in the episode when I was listening about uh, looking ahead. Well, I'm going to look ahead. Um, when you start playing better hitting teams and and the bullpen struggles like they did Friday night and a little bit of yesterday, that's dangerous. And you can't you can't beat teams by out hitting them every game. I mean, that's one thing I've learned over this weekend. We scored 43 runs, I believe, in this three game span, and yet we went two and one. Um, and I'm not trying to be negative Nancy here. I mean, we went, we took two out of three, but when you score 43 ones in a weekend, you're expected to go three and up. Um, so 
Overall, uh, game two, I thought we, as Rob would say, minimized the damage on pitching because I think they did just enough. I mean, they gave up five runs, but we scored 22. At that point, um, you know, when you're able to score run after run after run and Calvi's coming out every third of an inning to change his pitchers, by then you pretty much have them. At that point, you're just trying to save up depth for game three. And I think that's what we did in game two, and that was very helpful. Uh, I think Deggs and Tib were at the point where they're like, look, man, we'll give up a few runs at the end of the game, but we're holding off our death because I think I was more surprised at how many pitchers South Alabama used in game two. They used probably, what, eight guys, I believe? Eight or nine guys? Well, they started throwing guys that have not seen action at all. Yeah. I mean, these are so, young freshmen and guys that have not thrown a pitch. Yeah, they conceded. They were done. I mean, right. So they they were throwing so many arms to the, to where I'm – like, you know, my dad and I are watching the game and we're like, are they going to have anybody left for game three? I mean, I know they're saving some guys, but at the same time, you're using that many guys, even when you're down by 15 runs. Um, so that was the good thing. That was the good part on our side is we minimize the amount of uh, pitchers we had to use for game two, which was very helpful going into game three. Agree. Uh, pitching staff didn't get a whole ton of credit because everybody was worried about the balls flying out of the stanky. Uh, but you got to give them credit for that. You got to give him credit. 56 runs this week, boys. I'm sorry, 58. Add the two for Southeastern. We scored 58 runs this weekend. I mean, Jeez. this week. This wow. whole week, 58. Crazy. I mean, that's, that's, you divide that by five, that's what, between that's 11 and 12 runs a game in five games. But I mean, think about, again, back to God bless Roe, but think back to post-14 where we were struggling to score two or three runs a game, and but our pitching – kept us in it so it didn't matter if we scored two we were holding them to one so it's again it take it's taking a little bit of adjustment for me as a fan to realize and understand that robe was an anomaly when it came to pitchers guys from all over the country were targeting ul as a pitching destination for them because of robes pitching skills and as a coach and god bless tib he's a great pitching coach but there are very few coaches in the country who will ever be what Robe was. So there, we we kind of have to take a little bit. I think we've taken a little bit for granted, really, as a, as an athletic. You know, over the past couple of years, athletics has been obnoxious in the SBC. But really, when it comes to pitching and hitting, you've got a hitting coach in Deggs is the opposite of what what Robe was. It, it's it's a little bit of an adjustment because we Let's still just be blunt. expect. Yeah, it drives we, me nuts. It, it drives, drives us nuts. nuts because we expect to hold teams to five runs and score 40. And that's just not reality. You're going to recruit great hitters and and good pitchers, or you're going to recruit great pitchers and good hitters. It's it's, it's true. all about the philosophy, right? And, and not to have recency bias, that we've had great pitchers come through this program for 30 years. I mean, look at Aaron Getty. But, I mean, yeah, exactly. Bobans. Yeah. I mean, perfect example. But I mean, we're, we're, we're the spoiled. talent that we Let's had be honest. from 12 to 17 through this obnoxious, program, obnoxious, unmatched. Really, well, just I mean, re really good. 2016, our hitting was subpar. It was the pitching that allowed us to host a regional. 2015, those, those games you, pissed me off so bad because it's like you just need one hit. You just need well, I mean, one run. Like, you talk about 2015. It. What carried us? You had a weekend rotation full of true freshmen that carried us to a super regional. I mean, it took in the supers, it took a, a true freshman in 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 Gunnar Leger to give up a two bait a two-run base hit RBI to Alex Bregman to pull him out in the seventh. I mean, how many freshmen have that type of opportunity? 
and are able to get a standing ovation from that place of all places as a true freshman coming out in the super regional when you're the whole country's watching you. That's what we're used to. And so, you know, I know y'all were talking a little bit about should we panic? I know we're 18 and seven, Josh, like you said about pitching, but at the same time, the real question should be, what's our goal? If we look at our pitching staff right now and we say, okay, can we win a regional with the way we're pitching right now? That's kind of the standards we've always had is to get to Omaha, at least make a super regional or regional run and get to Omaha. Can we do that with the current pitching staff we have now? And based on what I saw this weekend, I hate to say it, but the answer is no. You're not going to be able to out hit teams. I mean, and you that's look a at snapshot. Your, that's a snapshot. That, but that, sure. is not a, that is not an indictment on their, their no, ability. But Jared, no, look at where we are this we're year. The, we're not even halfway through the season yet. I, I mean, know. we got a lot of time to improve, but based on what we're seeing now, I would hope that, and I would expect pitching to get better. I mean, you look at your, your great, you look at a Tennessee team last year that can mash. They lost on pitching. That's why we're so adamant on making sure our pitching continues to improve and try to get better. Because if you're trying to reach the ultimate goal of what we're trying to reach as a team and as a program right now, from what I'm seeing, you're not going to get to that ultimate goal by the way we're pitching. I mean, it just needs to get better, but luckily we're not halfway through the season, and I do expect this pitching to get better. I mean, we do have the arms to do that. I'm going to disagree with you. I think we are where where we need to be right now, pitching-wise. To make the leap. To, to make, make the, the leap. leap. Now, yes. look, we got I'll some improvement to do. But look, we are so far ahead of where we were last year, pitching and hitting-wise, oh, that right yeah. now, look at our record. Sure. I'm sitting back and enjoying it and sitting in the sun. And and so, so no, there is no panic and there's no concern about us getting to where we need to be. I think we are right now way ahead of where I thought we would be this season. No concern on my end. I think our pitching is fine. I think we have a little bit of a hiccup that we got to figure out. But when you look again as a whole, holistically, where we were last year versus where we were this year versus where we have been in the past couple of seasons, I am counting my blessings and happy as hell as where we are. Well, here's the reality. The schedule gets harder. The second half of the year is pretty tough as opposed to the first 25 games we've played. Now we're playing games on the road. Now we're playing some tough midweek competition. Now we're going to be playing some teams that can hit. Now we're going to be playing some teams that can that are hitting, hitting their stride right now. So this second half of the, of the year, if you can have a similar record to what we had this for these first 25 games at 18 and seven, we're riding high going into the conference tournament. Now there's a lot of baseball left to be played, but also too, I, I what I'm optimistic about with our pitching staff is once they start playing the coastal Carolinas, the Texas States, the Southern misses, the Louisiana techs, the school across the basin, you can only get better from there with it, that type of experience. It's not going to be playing against Rice. You're not going to be playing against High Point. You're not going to be playing a midweek game against Grambling. And no disrespect to those teams, but the teams that are coming up, even App State next weekend, they're good hitting teams. You're going to get some good experience there. So I'm not, I'm not worried yet. Like I said, from what I'm seeing now, they do need to get better, but they're going to have a golden opportunity in the next few weeks to play some really good competition to only get better naturally with experience. The question comes down to when you say something is good or a team is good, what does that mean to you and what does that mean to the person that you're talking to? We know what good looks like because we've seen really good baseball around here for a very long time. When I say something's good, it means I'm challenging for a conference title and I'm looking to host a regional. That's what I mean when I say we have work to do in order to be a good ball club. I don't think we're dog meat, but we have work to do. Everybody inside that, that building – 
is going to agree with that statement. And I agree with you. But let's look at our schedule conference-wise. Who scares you? Troy? Mm. Not they did at the beginning of the season. Now they're they're coming back to reality. So not terrified of Troy. Could we lose two out of three? Yes. But I expect to win that series. JMU? Don't know a whole lot about him, but I'm not scared. It's on of the road. It's right now, road. you got it. Now again, that's it's on the road. Part. Yeah. Coastal, they can score. They're good. <laughs> but so can we. Okay. So the question is going to be whose bullpen is going to hold up? Is it going to be Coastal or is it going to be us? And then you get well, into we Southern own Coastal, Miss. So. Okay. Then you got ULM moving on. Then you got Texas State, which was exposed by Southern Miss this weekend. Not good. They've taken a big step back. And then you got Southern Miss, which. I am not sold on. Now, can they, again, can they hit? Yes. Can they pitch? To be seen. They're kind of so, like us right now, yeah. There is nobody that scares me. Now, again, that does not mean we cannot lose a series the rest of the season. I expect us to lose one, one series this season. But can we, do we have the ability to win every single conference series this season? The answer is yes. We should have won the, the series against Southern Miss, which in my to me, they were better than Texas State, but whatever. We should have beat Southern Miss last season, and we didn't. We well, lost. We, we, we got hosed on a call. We got correct. hosed on a call in the seventh inning on a ball. Correct. Up the wall. And that, we are not what we were last season. We are a lot better than we and were. They're at that not point. either. So well, again, we got we we got swept in two series conference series last year. Texas we State did. and Troy. Troy. I mean, we I got don't a terrible now. start. I don't expect us to get swept this year by well, look, any conference team. Now, I, tell you it, what. It could happen, but I just don't see it. Let's expand this conversation when we do the league update. Let's put a bow on on the uh, on the series. We're getting Cajun, off topic, sorry. No, that's sorry all right. It happens. Yeah. So in game two at the Stank on Saturday, Cajuns come out victorious 10-6. to six. Uh, Louisiana put runs on the board. Three in the first, one in the third, two in the fifth, one in the sixth, three in the eighth. Balanced offensive attack yet again. Uh, we saw JT Etheridge get the win. Ben Tate... Gets the save, and I thought he looked really good. The pride of Sunset, Louisiana, Mr. Ben Tate. We'd all been asking, where's Ben Tate? We want to see some Ben Tate. Finally, you saw him close that game out uh, Saturday. Maybe that was the plan for him to try to uh, see if he could fit in that closer role with Blake Marshall kind of on the rocks. And you got to remember that Blake hasn't been healthy for two years. you got to wonder if maybe something's going on there. That, that's just something to look out for. Sam Hill gets the start. Carson Fluno came in relief for him. Uh, JT Etheridge, like I mentioned, who got the win came in relief of uh, Carson Fluno and then, of course, Ben Tate. I'll get the numbers on Sam and everybody else, but overall uh, observations of pitching. Uh, Jerry, you go first. I thought that was the game they needed after Friday night because when you, if you notice, uh, South Alabama had a few opportunities to to ha have some go-ahead runs and take the lead and come back, and they had some guys left on base, and our pitcher stepped. They, they pulled through, and they stepped in and got it done. So that that's a type of game that shows me that – they can respond because unlike Friday night, it was the opposite, right? South Alabama got the timely hit. They got, they got the go ahead runs. They were able to make comebacks. They were able to rally. Whereas that game two of Saturday night, that same opportunity applied and they didn't. And our pitching staff, they were able to get the key outs. Our fielding did a good job of kind of holding their runners uh, and leaving them in scoring position. So I thought that was huge. Uh, that was a big step forward. Uh, for that pit for our pitching staff to do what they did in that game because I saw a lot of deja vu 
from what we saw Friday night. And this time the pitching staff step, stepped up and said, no way, not going to happen twice in, in one weekend. So kudos to the pitching staff. Kudos to those guys stepping in, getting it done. Uh, when you're able to do something like that, even if South Alabama is not the South Alabama we're used to, still doing it at their place on the road and stepping in, I mean, that that is exactly what that pitching staff needed going into this five- or six-day break. We uh, talked about the ceiling for Sam Hill, and we talked about all of the the signals that the coaching staff were sending us as fans. They want to see something out of Sam. They think he's the guy. Two and a third, four hits, three runs, three earned, two walks, four Ks, gave up a double, a homer, three wild pitches in 57 chances. A little bit lackluster. He was on a projection that looked like he could slide into that Sunday roll or game three roll. I think that maybe we took a step back today with Sam. No, I agree. And uh, not his best performance, but still did what we had to do to win the game, which is obviously the goal. But no, I expected a little bit more. Um, I thought he was a little more more impressive. When was his last start? Was it Mississippi State? Well, he started He started against uh, Southeastern, Southeastern on Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. So, um, so yeah, I... Um, I think he still has some 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 growing to do. I think he can still fit into that starting role on a Sunday. But again, what I, I like about the Degs teams is that every position is up for competition. And if you're not at your best, somebody else who is will take your spot. So it's 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 Sam's Sam's spot to lose. Right now, that is his role. And if he can't consistently be the guy that we need on Sundays. We got a guy who's pitching midweek who can. Um, so that is what I like to see about Degs uh, or what I have liked to have seen already and continue to see is that every role is up for grabs, perform your best, do your best, see where it leads us. Um, but I need to see a little bit more consistency from him. But again, all in all, we got where we needed to be not disappointed by the result, obviously. Yeah, I, my issue is I just don't want to see this coaching staff try to shove another square peg in a round hole. We've done that way too much with pitching. It drives me nuts. The only thing is recognize that, yes, the guy has a high ceiling, but this was a step back. Maybe that's not the role right now. Maybe Tommy Ray deserves another opportunity. Hell, maybe Cooper Rawls deserves to get a start on a Sunday. I mean, I mean, I think the guy is earned. We, we know he can start. We know he can go long innings. We know he's... In my view, if you look at his pitch totals, he's more economical than a lot of guys on the staff. So maybe Cooper's your answer on Sunday. You know, I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud. And then you got Carson Fluno that comes in and another uncharacteristically poor performance. Inning in two thirds, gave up four hits, two earned runs, walked a guy, gave up a homer. Again, I know the the wind was blowing out a little bit less in the afternoon, but still, you got a, you got an offensive club that you don't think has a hold. Their slug is down. Their batting average as a team is down. You don't think this team is going to slap it around the park and you get, you know, Sam goes in there and does what he does. And then you got Carson Fluno, one of the, in my view, one of the most reliable guys you've had to this point in the season, throws 41 pitches and really can't get out of his own way. Uh, you know, his ERA is up to three, 3.6. Now he goes in at two, seven. I don't know what was Carson just off. I mean, it seems like a lot of guys that we've been relying on a lot. were just off, but this was a road. A, a weekend series and conference, different environment, and they didn't have fans in the stands, so I, I won't say Which that. Which was weird. Yeah, I was going to say, there. it's not like it was a packed house and there was a lot of uh, pressure. I agree with everything you said. It was, this whole, this whole series was weird. It was not typical 
of a UL South Alabama series. Look, hopefully they got that out of their system. We're going to obviously be on the road in conference going forward. Got to see some consistency across the board in that Sunday spot. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of lost for words because I expected more. I expected Sam to come in and have a solid start. I expected the bullpen behind him because you only use two pitchers in that middle game. Look, I was worried coming in on Saturday because I was like, oh, crap, we've we've used our best pitchers on Friday and we lost the game. And now now we're in a tough spot. But after only using two pitchers in that in that Saturday first game, I figured, hey, we're in a good position. We got this. So look a little more looking for a little more from Sam. Like you said, Fluno, um, it was just uncharacteristic. It was just weird. I and, agree. And Jerry, I'll give you last uh, the last word on pitching. You know, JT Etheridge comes in, not effective. He's your prototypical contact pitcher. I know that there is a role for him. I, I have no ill will towards the guy. I just don't think that that is the role for him right there. Again, he's not a setup guy. And at that point in the game, you're not looking for a setup guy. But, you know, in theory, if you're going to bring bring Ben Tate in to finish that game, he's he's the pseudo setup. I mean, ideally, I think you want to bring in Ben Tate in the eighth. So, I mean, essentially, he serves as a setup there. But anyway, not effective. They bring in Tate. He does the job. He goes three and a third. Gives up only one hit. He did walk three guys, which, God, we got to stop walking, guys. He struck out four. Uh, he had a wild pitch, which we threw way too many of those this weekend. Hit a guy. Again, South Alabama is going to do that to you. But at the end of the day, he got the outs he needed to get. Zero earned runs. That's the number one important thing. Cajuns win 10-6 to six in large part because Ben Tate was able to come in and slam the door. That's the thing, though. I mean, I, I, I again, that's what did us in Friday night. You walk a guy, one guy gets on base. Before you know it, you walk another guy. There's no outs. Now you have a pitcher that may not that's inexperienced, and it, whether it gets to his head or or he's just not he's not throwing it well, and you get what you got. So um, I'm just one of those guys, fans, man. Just throw strikes, throw strikes, and, and make them swing. I, I'm I don't know unless you have massive control. Again, you, unless we have a Gunner Leje who can who can locate his changeup. I don't really like the whole, you know, throw throw in the dirt and all that other fancy stuff to where you're barely you're just wasting pitches and you're and you're you're wearing yourself out. And I'm gonna echo that, Jerry, in the ninth when you're up ten to six, and then you get two outs, two quick outs, we're good. And then you got a single and I think two walks, two so walks, you load the bases, right? And now yeah. you were talking about momentum. Now you're giving a team that is out of it some momentum and. Look at what they did Friday. So they're remembering what they did Friday in the ninth inning, and now you're giving them a shot. They believe. You're giving them yeah. belief. And, and One swing of the bat. Right. One swing right. of the bat is all it took for that game to be tied and us to possibly lose that series. That's that's why you can't – that's why, to me, that's where the walks haunt you because now you're giving a team hope that was pretty much left for dead. It, it, you know, we can't be – I think it wasn't it Tony that used to say we can't be a charity at, at, at on the mound? We right. can't be a charity and give thing and just give away. I mean, that's where you have an inexperienced bullpen that's still trying to find their identity. That's an opportunity for them to shut the door, which Ben did. That was great, but we it need was, more of our guys it was rough. to do that. It was rough at times, but he did shut the door. Let me stand up for the pitchers for just a second. Everybody goes in with a game plan. Everybody throws bullpens a certain way. Everybody has a plan going into their outing. Now, again, when you get a lead like that, it's going to change. Throwing, you're not throwing to the black anymore. You're not throwing to angles. You're trying to get guys out by 
getting contact more often than not, or at least that's the way we used to do it. Maybe, maybe this coaching staff is a little bit different. But I'll say, mentally, it is difficult to go from throw to the black, throw to angles, pitch your colors. You guys know the color system. Hit your, hit your wires. It's, it's sometimes difficult for guys to go from that to just throw strikes, just pump strikes. And as fans, you know, you always hear the drunk guy in the stands, oh, just throw strikes. Well, it's like, you know, owning a business and you can't keep good employees. Just hire good people. Well, it's not just, it's not that damn easy. Sometimes in a pressure situation, you know, when you have to adjust on the fly and you have to make good pitches but not serve up meatballs to guys that are hitting the ball out of a park that the wind's blowing out of in a hitter's park, it's stanky. You know, it's not as easy as we make it sound. But to your point, I think the larger the larger uh, a view of it is don't give them hope. Nail the door shut, and, and you're 100% right on that. I think that the majority of our guys are still growing up in that regard. That's the pitchability that we talk about, that Robe used to always talk about, pitchability. You can't just have a bunch of throwers. You need pitchers, and pitchers know how to pitch. Throwers just go up there and throw the ball. So I just wanted to add a little bit of context to Jerry's uh, comment on that. Offensively, the Cajuns get it started with a bang. You know, Julian, again, in Fuego, hits the piss missile to dead center field for a three-run lead. That's a great way to start it. You think, you know, you never know what's going to happen. You, you score 22 in game one on Saturday morning. You don't know how they're going to come out. Are they flat? Did we score too many runs? Hat tip to foot? Do we, do we empty the tank? You never know. And Julian answered that question in the very first inning. Hits a, an absolute tank to center. I felt good at that point. Uh, I knew that we were going to see some arms. You know, again, Sam Hill. We, you know, our play-by-play guy says that Sam Hill is always oh, obviously projecting and all this stuff. Here's the thing: with young pitchers, you never know. You never know how they're going to respond to different roles. So I felt good about having a three-run lead going into the bottom of the first. South Alabama, just like they did all weekend long, with the exception of Saturday, they, they, they responded. They scored a run in the bottom of the first. Cajuns come back in the third, put one. South Al scores two. Cajuns score two in the fifth. South Al puts a three spot. Cajuns did come back and strike for a run in the sixth, and at that point, we shut them down in the bottom of the sixth, and that's where we truly grabbed the momentum and never looked back, and then we hung a crooked number in the eighth, and then Ben Tate did the rest. Offensively, Ben Robichaux, only one walk and four at-bats, no hits, nothing nothing else. Didn't score a run, which is obviously odd for him. Uh, Luke Juhas got in the game with a bat, and that bat did nothing. Debo, a hit. Two runs, great to see him back in the lineup after that little uh, scare there with the hit-by-pitch earlier in the day. In four at-bats, did have a walk. He had two stolen bases, as did Rock. He had two stolen bases, too. Uh, Two hits and five official at-bats, scored two runs, had an RBI and a double. Uh, Heath Hood continues to hit the baseball. Three official at-bats, he walked once, stole two bases. Three runs scored, a hit, and an RBI. Julian Brock, as we mentioned, completely on a heater. Hits a bomb to center. He walked. He had another hit outside of the homer. Scored three runs and uh, ended the game with four RBI. JT, two official at-bats, had an RBI, two base on balls. Played great defense yet again. I mean, how, how many great plays is this guy going to make? You can put him at second. You can put him at third. You can do whatever you need to do with him. Shortstop, obviously, he played for Debo. I mean, the guy is just one of those He, You have to have those glue kids on the team. But he is producing like an everyday starter. I got to continue to see JT. Will Veon gets another hit. I think he's got a four-game hitting streak at this point. Two RBI, had a double, uh, and four official at-bats. Mason Zambo gets in the game. 
I like his defense at first base, by the way. We don't talk about it enough. He got a hit in five official at-bats, did steal a base. Uh, CJ Willis, once again, gets to start three at-bats, didn't do anything. He did walk twice, uh, but nothing else to write home about. And that's the offense for the Cajuns. And I don't think we need to go over South Alabama because, you know, they're South Alabama, and I don't like talking about them more than I have to. But the Cajun offense continues to roll. Double digits again, four and five games of scoring 10-plus runs. Again, like we mentioned, 58 runs this week. What do you say? I mean, at this point, I like where we are. 18-7, and 5-1 and one in conference. I think we've played the two worst teams in our conference. So I'm not going to get giddy about standings and all that stuff. We're going to learn a lot more about our program going forward. Uh, next weekend should be very interesting. But we don't have a midweek game this week, right, Jerry? I think we're off through the week, so we're going to rest. We're going to get our things together. We're going to rest Debo's hand. We're going to get the pitchers back in a rotation. Hopefully, we can find some consistency and some routine. And if we don't, then we'll just figure it out. But hopefully, the signs of things to come, we look like we're rolling offensively. And I just uh, I think that that's a very important thing at this point in the season, 18 and 7. I, I like the fact that this break comes now because you've played back-to-back five-week games or five-game five weeks. And that, I mean, that 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 wears on you, especially you're you're barely halfway through the season. I mean, we're we're almost at twenty. I mean, we're at twenty five games. I think twenty eight's the halfway mark. So, I mean, that's a lot. We've played a lot of baseball in a short amount of time, and and we're eight and two through the last two weeks. Even though it would have been nice to be ten and zero or nine and one based off a of Friday night, you're still eight and two. That's a good run. So. I think I think going into this week, it's good because, like you said, guys like Debo can rest. The players can have some decent, some good practices. Maybe, maybe uh, one of those. Uh, what, are, what do you call them? The in-game situational practices that they have, um, and just kind of keep their. I guarantee you, they'll play a bunch of inner squads this week. Yeah, some inner squads keep their blood, keep the blood flowing, keep their muscles loose, but at the same time, just kind of be more relaxed going into Friday night. Plus, they come back home, so it's going to be a fun home series against an App State team where you really don't know what to expect from App State. One day they look like a regional team, the next day they just they're terrible. You just don't know what you're going to get with them. But that's dangerous. That's dangerous. So, I think that's a good time to get that six day break. And uh, I know the team. I think the team came back what early this morning. Um, so look, we got swept at South out two weeks, two, two years ago. Um, I mean, after that crazy, crazy weekend series in 2021, where it kept raining, kept raining and you played a double header, I think on a Monday and you ended up going over three. So it was nice to go over there and get the series win, but, Oh, you uh, know what? I just remembered they didn't win the, the Gainesville regional, but they beat the breaks off of Florida and made it to the, they final. eliminated That's them. what it was. Yeah. yeah. They eliminated them. And I think they lost to, was it Hawaii? Maybe. Was it no? No, nah, it wasn't Hawaii. But the the team that they lost to won their super regional and went to Omaha. So they were from the was. American Conference. Never mind. I think they were from the American. If I'm not mistaken. I'm well. I'm anyway, look, I'm happy yeah. to be coming back to the Teague. We're 15 and three at home, and good teams win their games at home. Nick, sure. uh, last thoughts, and then we'll take a trip around the league. Um, all I got to say is, hey, four and one. I am. Or excuse me. Yeah, four and one this week. I'm I'm good with it. Should have been five and zero, oh, but uh, you're not going to sweep every. Every every series, the goal is to win every series, and I think going into next weekend, we have a good shot at winning three in a row. But it's going to be a challenge. Look, App State beat, won the series against Georgia State, and Georgia State, despite their, you know, little league home field that they have, <laughs> swept Troy at home, and then went on and lost two out of three to, to App State. So. Uh, it's going to be a challenge. App State can score. 
we just uh, we just got to put it all together. But but overall, happy with the way the week has turned out. Speaking of Georgia State in their little league park, you know Georgia State at one point had a top twenty-five RPI last year, and it looked like they were headed in the right direction, and then they just absolutely fell off a cliff. Uh, they have started this season much like they ended last year. Uh, Troy did go over there and and get swept, but they came back home and they had ULM. So just what the doctor ordered, Troy sweeps ULM seven to five Friday, seven to five Saturday uh, in a double header, four to three in game two on Saturday. So Monroe not uh, not putting up much of a fight as per usual. Minutes. Oh, they they did put up a fight. Can we talk about that? Yes, we can. Uh, <laughs> go ahead. I know you wanted to mention it, so yeah. I mean, especially because it involves Chipper. I mean, that's just yeah. It was just it better. was a weird situation. So, uh, former UL pitcher Chipper Menard got the start for ULM in Game One on Saturday because they had a, a doubleheader situation, I believe, as well. And um, they were. Uh, I don't know what happened. I think they were they were up. Three nothing, and then Troy came out and and hit a homer. I think is what happened. And for some reason, and the guy didn't showboat. The guy didn't do anything crazy. He just hit a homer. And the first pitch to the next batter was behind the batter. So the Troy, the third base Troy coach got pissed off. He gets tossed. So then the ULM coach comes out, and then all of a sudden he's having the conversation with the umpires, and he gets tossed, and then Chipper gets tossed. So <laughs> there was no, like, it, it wasn't an actual fight like Southern Miss, which we'll talk about later. But interestingly enough, for some reason, Chipper thought it would be a, a good idea to pitch behind the next batter for no reason. Guy didn't showboat. Guy didn't take his time around the bases. He just hit a home run, went all the way around, pitched behind the next guy, and got tossed. So um, that's the story from that has, game. Has there ever been a more infuriating pitcher than Chipper Menard in this program? One night he looks like an all American. Next night cannot find the strike zone. And I mean, miss badly over and over and over. I'm glad he's still finding a place to pitch. But that's I mean, what seems was like weird. It was like this. He was, he was, I mean, for all, he, he gave up two runs, right? In three innings. I mean, it, he wasn't having a terrible outing. He was, he, he gave up Homer. Like it happens. And, and the dude, for some reason, decided to take it upon himself to throw behind a hitter. I I don't get it. I don't get it. That's right. wild. Well, Texas State took a trip over to COVID Carolina. And Texas State is such a weird team. They have a couple of nice wins. They swept Northwestern. They have a nice win over Grand Canyon, who's a, a top 25 program, really good program, good baseball program. They have a win over TCU in the midweek. And then they took the series from Southern Miss, two out of three. And that was at the Pete. Oh, no, excuse me. That was at Texas State. Then... They go to uh, to COVID Carolina, like I mentioned, and get absolutely dominated Friday and Saturday morning. They lose they lose 19 to nothing on Friday. 19 to nothing. And then come back Saturday morning, lose 13 to 6. At one point, that game was 13 to 1. So Texas State scored some, some runs late in that game. But 13 to 6 in game one, Texas State came back to win 10 to 8. But Coastal led throughout that game. It was a little bit nip and tuck later, but uh, Texas State does come back to get a salvage victory. Texas State, I can't figure out. They can pitch, but they're nothing like they were last year. They I can will hit, tell you, I figured it out. Like. That if they're not playing at their home field, they can't. 
They cannot because let's talk about Grand Canyon. Yeah, they won a game. They lost two because they were on the road. That's right. right? That so so they can play. They they will play tough at home. They're really good at Texas State. Get them on the road. Get them on a neutral field. We saw it in the in the conference tournament last year. They're not nearly as good. I don't know what it is. I thought they oh, were really last is. year too. Well, they know where they know. Yeah, it's the ballpark. They know where they know where where the ball carries. They know how to hit. I mean, they just know how to hit the par- at the park. I mean, coastal same thing. It's in they, you know their their parks the same way. They they just and they know where to go. Whereas places like the Teague, where you hit it out the center field, unless you you hit it just right, it's it's a graveyard. So, I mean that that's th- those stadiums. Uh, but that, I mean, there's a reason why you're seeing coastal swing the bat the way they are at home. And there's a reason why you see Texas State do the same thing at home as well is that the ball just carries in those parks. And um, that's why you notice uh, Texas State, they're, they're a totally different team on the road. Um, you saw it the other day. So that's kind of an advantage to us, the fact that Texas State comes to Lafayette this year because they have to play at our park. You know, They're not going to be able to play home run derby at theirs, which is very helpful to us as well because we know how to hit in our park. They don't. So – uh, th- those two teams, those two teams, it's almost like fool's gold because of the fact that they take for granted their stadiums where the ball just carries out. It well, reminds me of New Mexico State when we would play at New Mexico State and like every fly ball was was hit out of the ballpark. And right. in fact, I think it was the year after we went to the College World Series, we didn't even qualify for the conference tournament because yeah. we got sweats at New Mexico State over a blooper you know, fly ball home run. So the wind is always blowing over there. I've yeah. been to Los Cruces mm-hmm. three or four times. The but wind that, never b- stops. But that's what it feels like when you're talking about coastal, when you're talking about Texas State, is that they know where to hit it in the ballpark and they right. recruit guys who can hit it in the, in that direct particular direction, wherever it is in that ballpark. So well as know. long as long as we don't issue free passes, I feel pretty good yep. against Texas State. I agree. Uh Arkansas State, who the Cajuns dominated last weekend, goes to Harrisonburg and loses the only game that they're going to play this weekend, 9-4, to four, and that happened today. They had bad weather uh, throughout on Saturday and Friday. So those games actually got canceled. I have no idea if they're going to make them up, but Arkansas State is now 0-4 in conference. James Madison wins the only game, 9 But I think they pushed four. it to extra innings, which Arkansas State fans were very excited about. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, I do see that. They ended up playing 10, and then James Madison scored 5 on them in the only inning that they played. Consolation prize for for Arkansas State. They pushed the extra, so there's some you know improvement, I guess, in their eyes. Man, ODU is just playing really good baseball. Their RPI is in the top thirty in the country. Uh, they can swing it. Tyser, their big bat, has come around, and now he's just bludgeoning the ball. I will give Marshall some credit, but by the way, ODU hosted Marshall in Norfolk. Marshall came out and played a whale of a game on Friday, got a great pitching performance, win the game 6-1, to one, which is one of the bigger shockers in the Sunbelt Conference this year so far. So shout out to the Herd. That's a big win. Uh, but then Marshall, I, like you can't compete with the bats that ODU has. I mean, they have a big boy offense, and uh, we'll see that later in the season. But 22-5, to five, ODU wins on Saturday. They also played a doubleheader and won the second game on Saturday afternoon, 12-2-2. to two. So Odie, you can swing it. We've got some pretty good offenses in the Sun Belt. I think you're starting to see that. To uh, to Nick's point about how everybody's scoring runs, I don't know, man. Like, if this it's it's a five it's a top five RPI conference in the, in America right now. I think that we can hold that. We had a decent non conference schedule across the league, which is going to help us in RPI and everything. 
uh, our nitty gritty sheets are really going to improve because of those things. But I miss the days of the pitching because we win that way. So I'm, it's kind of like I'm learning how to swim and I'm just kind of floating out into the deep water and I got a little bit of water in my mouth. So I got to hurry up and get back to the side. I'm freaking out a little bit. I, I just, it's so hard not to pitch and play defense. It's just, what scares me the most is in the end, it's still a human element. And no right. matter what you do, RPI wise or whatever, you know, metric they want to go by, if you have this brand across your chest, you somehow get a pass from right. all that. So it is never going to be an automatic, oh, we're going to be a four or five big lead this year. But the good news is people are starting to talk about it. And the more that national media starts paying attention to it and saying it out loud, the more the committee has to listen. So I would just say as the Sunbelt continues to do what we do and continues to be better and continues to perform, it's so important for these national media people to say that. Uh, otherwise, they can they can screw us and have no repercussions. Nobody's going to say anything if they put uh, a 500 SEC team over uh, a 35 win Sunbelt team. So we got we got to make sure we start getting the word out. That that's the only thing that I am worried about is because of the name across the chest and ODU doesn't mean anything to a committee that is is formed with power five conference people. Agree, but I will say this. Sunbelt has five teams inside the top 100 RPI right now, and we're into conference. So that bodes well because the majority of our conference mates have decent RPIs. Correct. You only have a couple of killers, and that's going to improve as we go. And that's not been this way historically in a long time lot. yeah in a long time I agree. that's right that's right and i think the good news is is that like the five or six teams that are in talks of possible postseason play not only does that add value to your conference because of the fact that even as a mid-major conference that many teams are in in the conversation but also the cajuns are right in the middle of that conversation when you name one of of those five or six teams louisiana is always going to be in that mix especially now so that helps tremendously because of the fact that now you have a you know you have two teams that hosted regionals last year that that are now in the conference in Georgia Southern and Southern Miss. You have Coastal Carolina with their history. You've got Louisiana with theirs, and now you've got teams like ODU, and you also have a Texas State who was one game away from hosting a regional last season. That's a lot of teams in a conference that now have that if given the full the Sun Belt a lot of respect in the baseball world. I mean the fact that you have these national pundits now. Uh, like guys, guys that talk about college baseball on a regular basis, mentioning the Sun Belt with the big boys, that's huge for us, and that adds value. And that's the that's how you're going to get the committees to honor and respect the teams when postseason play comes around. As like you said, Nick, as long as they keep talking about us, you know, I, I understand, Josh, to your point. You know, we usually went on pitching in the past, but. With this Sun Belt conference now, with these teams that have come into the conference like Southern Miss and ODU, they all hit. They that they, they just they just have powerful bats. Um, but at the same time, if that's what adds value to the conference, then by all means, I'm okay with adapting. But to our earlier conversation, I just hope I still hope our pitching continues to get better because that'll give us a huge advantage within the Sun Belt. That'll no, that'll make us a favorite. You, I mean, you, you got to swing the bat to win now, and I'm just saying it's old habits die hard, but. Uh... In this uh, day and age, even in this day and age, if you look at the teams that go to Omaha and win national championships, they don't win just by swinging the bat. They win with pitching. Even Look, ten, again, Tennessee was a prime example last year. Everybody talked about how well they mashed, but what happened when they played Notre Dame? The bats got cold and they couldn't pitch. 
When they played and, Notre Dame, they got cocky. That's why they lost. Well, they and, ended up staying home. Tennessee is cocky because Tennessee is cocky, and that's why they lost. But but, but at the same time, that's a whole other rant. That's a whole other rant. But you've seen that a few times over the last few years. Uh, Tony used to say all the time, you can't hit your way to Omaha. You got to pitch. You got to play defense. You got to get the timely hit. And even to this day, I still think that still stands. Um, you're not going to be able to win national championships just by hitting the ball. You know, the, the days of gorilla ball, yes, they were great and all, but still to get to Omaha and, and hit out of that park, you still got to pitch. Tell that to Julian Brock. I just want to get to that park, baby. After Me that, too. it's I all, think we all do. on. Yeah. We're headed there uh, to complete the trip around the league. Georgia Southern, okay, who, by the way, a lot of high praise for Georgia Southern going into this year. They are now 12-12 and 12 and kind of looking for some answers. They went to the peak, and they lost the series. Uh, Southern Miss pulls out a, a nail-bite, a really good baseball game on Friday, 4-3. to three. Saturday, and Nickel mentioned uh, this game soon. We'll talk about the shenanigans. Nine to seven, Georgia Southern uh, ends up. I think Southern Miss at one point was down four or five runs. Georgia Southern blows it, loses the game, and then Georgia Southern did salvage getaway day again. Another doubleheader because of weather across the country. They played two games on Saturday. Southern Georgia Southern comes back, wins that ten to eight again. Another one of those close games. This was a really good series, but Saturday morning we had a little bit of a problem between the two teams. Tell us about it, Nick. Typical Southern Miss fashion. A guy hits a home run in showboats. And again, no reason to showboat. So I think they had runners on, they had a runner on second with, uh, with one out. So they walked the guy to put runners on first and second, go for the double play. And for some reason, the guy who came up to bat felt disrespected according to Southern Miss fans, which I still don't get them, but whatever. So the guy felt disrespected. Oh my God. They walked to get to me. The guy hits a bomb. So instead of just, you know, trotting around the bases like a like a dude, he stops, he looks, he tosses his bat. Just uh, sounds familiar. Sounds familiar, say. right? Don't say. A pimp that, that, job the from classy the Southern, Southern Miss baseball team does this yet again. Tosses his bat, showboats around the bases, and then and then there was a little bit. So I don't know who was involved in the kind of trash talking. Probably the pitcher and one of the batters waiting on deck. Well, Danny Lynch was the one who hit the homer. Right. No, no, no. Wilkes. I think his name was Wilkes. Oh, uh, Slade Wilkes. Danny Lynch, I think, maybe got walked. But he doesn't look like he, he walks. He hits the bait. He hits home plate, and he goes, and he does his celebration thing. But in the meantime, the catcher is between the pitcher and some guy talking trash. Well, the, the umpires decide to throw the catcher out the game. The catcher's the one that was – the Georgia Southern catcher was the guy trying to, like, break things up and get guys off each other. They toss him, and they toss the guy who tossed the bat. So it ended up being one player from each team, but it seemed a little uneven because, again, the Georgia Southern guy was just trying to break things up, but he was kind of like collateral damage. But the point of the story is Southern Miss yet again shows their – excuse the French – shows their ass – and does this showboating thing, which they were like, oh, well, I can't believe they they talked trash against us. But but we're starting to see a trend here over over the same coaching staff over the last few years where guys get a little bit cocky, toss their bad, try to showboat. So um, the, that guy got what he deserved. The guy who did it against us didn't because obviously we had a guy who couldn't hit the side of a barn with a baseball. And all of a sudden, all they think we're, we're throwing at their guys. Whatever. Anyway, that's how you hear there. The guy got tossed. Southern, uh, the Georgia Southern guy got tossed. They they moved on, but again, just um, starting to be a little bit of a trend with that team. 
it, I don't know. We need a villain in this league so badly. That's them. I'm glad we have one. <laughs> they're, they're like the uh, they're, they're they're like, like the coastal football team of baseball. Yes, they're like when Kevin Nash went to the Wolfpack. That's what they are. They they they're, they are the heel, uh, especially at the Pete. They're, they're the heel. The Pete the Pete is like the Royal Rumble, and they are just I love it. I love it. I cannot wait for that series. Uh, but anyway, Georgia Southern loses two out of three at the Pete against Southern Miss, who all of a sudden starting to play really good baseball. And Georgia Southern will go to ODU. Actually, no, they will entertain ODU, which should be a really good series. Georgia Southern pitching against that potent offense. Uh, I think that that has some potential to be pretty solid. Sunbelt's fun, man. It it's, is, man. It's so it, fun It now. really is. Agreed. And the last series we didn't talk about, Nick, you mentioned it. Uh, Georgia State takes two of three. Excuse me, they, they lose two of three from App State, who, again, like you guys mentioned, who the hell knows who they are. They look great one day. They look terrible the next. A really competitive series uh, in, in Atlanta. Uh, excuse me, in Boone. In Boone, which I think they might have top five baseball park in America, scenery-wise. Unbelievable. Uh, App State takes the Friday night game 10-7. to 7. They come back Saturday morning. Again, another doubleheader situation. Saturday morning, Georgia State wins 10-4 to in a pretty non-competitive baseball game. App State comes back in the afternoon, wins 15-14 to in a game that went back and forth like a heavyweight fight. I love to watch good baseball. I'm sick that I missed that game because I had it on the, uh, on the dial to watch, but too many things going on, uh, especially, you know, the, base, the uh, soccer team going out and securing the top of the table. 17 goals for one against. By the way, can y'all believe in this league they only give you a five-goal aggregate? It's ridiculous. We beat a team 11 to nothing that gave us five goals. I, I wrote an email. That it was a strongly worded email. How does that? Okay. Yeah. I, At some point in the email, I started Soccer is so weird to me, man. I, y'all, they, there's all these rules that don't make any sense. It's like, all about how can you win in the tie? It's all about sportsmanship, man. You can't make the girls cry, and we didn't, <sighs> I don't think. But you can't take away the girls' goals. We work hard for those goals. Come on. When we were coming up, you play till you get three outs. That's all I know. I, I'm, I'm not gonna say anything because I'll get in trouble. Yeah, don't get. Like, in, don't, I agree don't with get in you. Trouble. I agree with you, Josh. <laughs> all right, Jerry. Because you joined late, any any last parting shots before we tell the folks bye? No, it's nice to get a week, uh, a week, a week's break. Um, I know the guys are probably as, you know, coach Deggs would always say, you know, they want to be competitive and, you know, we play in the parking lot, but sometimes you got to have a, a quick stretch, right? It's like taking a long road trip, got to stop, stretch the legs. And uh, I think this is a good week to do that coming off back to back five, uh, five game weeks, uh, 18 and seven, our best start in a long time. It's good to see that. And, uh, you know, the second half of the season is going to be a lot of fun to watch because the baseball competition on our schedule is only going to get better. So good series win in South Alabama. Good week, four and one in the last two weeks. It's good. It's good to see the Cajuns baseball team playing up to the standard that we've always expected. So looking forward to it and uh, ready, already getting excited for Friday night at the Teague against App. Great results from baseball, softball. You know, um, they drop one at App State, but this ain't your mama's Sunbelt Conference in softball. Um, we're going to have to step it up because the competition is just going to get harder and harder every single week. 
but happy for them to win that series. What is it since 10 years since we've lost the series? 75 um, consecutive Sunbelt Conference series victories. That's hard. You're spoiled. We're hard. talking about that's being impossible. Spoiled. That's impossible. Uh, I mean, that's ridiculous. So kudos to the girls as well, or the ladies, excuse me, as well. And um, yeah, looking forward to uh, to a quiet week and then uh, picking it up against next week against App State Baseball. So yeah. That's Shout it. out that's to the got. ladies who just keep grinding. Softball is, I mean, it. it's great. What can you say? Folks. Thank you all for joining us on a Sunday night. We always appreciate you guys coming in and having fun with us. Your comments, your your feedback, by the way, for to help us get better is always welcome. That's how we judge ourselves by what you guys want. This is what we do for you guys. Um, I want to say a big shout out to Track and Field, who set some records this weekend. Our boy Jeremy Nelson uh, finished first in the triple jump. Uh, Jay Booth had a great weekend. Miss Daigle set two school records and finished in first in multiple events. Want to give track and field some shine. They are out there really making some noise. Please rate, review, subscribe, share with your auntie, your nephew, your papa, your mama, anybody who would be involved and interested in Raging Cajun sports, especially baseball. We will see you next Sunday to wrap up App State and the Cajuns. For Nick and Jerry, good night.